Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas for $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, does anyone want to learn French with me? Because I've decided in 2024 that I want to learn French. And thankfully, I have Rosetta Stone. So you better hop on and so we can learn French together. Rosetta Stone has the amazing true accent feature, which is so helpful, especially in French. You get feedback on how well you're actually pronouncing words. Plus, they have 25 languages to choose from. So if you're not going to learn French with me, I'm sure you can find some other people who will learn a language with you. But I'm on the French team this year. Come on, folks, join me. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, and that's why we drink listeners, can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash drink. That's rosettastone.com slash drink. Well, Hey, everyone, we're not letting Eva into the recording. <laughs> I feel so sneaky and powerful. <laughs> oh, poor Eva. She's probably like, what do they need me? What do they what are they? We're just we're just talking trash. We're just her. keeping her out of the loop. Um, So what happened was Eva's car broke down, I guess, or something bad happened. And she had to go bring her car in and. She's like, I'll and to jump- make the day worse, we're just saying you're not even welcome to the party. <laughs> Sorry, people with broken car batteries aren't allowed in. Um, <laughs> and so she's like, oh, I'll just hop in the zoo. But we were recording some ads and we were like, well, I'll leave her in the waiting room for a little while. We finished ads and now she's the waiting room seems to be empty. So I think she I think she gave up on us. Is she what took happened. the hint. Yeah. She took the hint. She was like, I think I'm going to go get lunch now. <laughs> what is wrong with you people? Yeah. So now we just awkwardly are not allowing her in because I don't know how to. Um, so sorry Eva <laughs> it's fine also hi Christina I haven't seen you in a hot minute I've missed you Emothy I have missed you so much Christopolis cool Marvel background Emma's like Em shows up as like oh I had to order some stuff to like make sure I can record because I'm still in Virginia and then Em shows up with the most professional looking setup I've ever seen this is not very it's literally a room divider that's just spread I thought out. it was like a full-on wallpaper like it looks really cool my my like like I don't I I don't want to say OCD because I have not been f- totally officially diagnosed, but the little spaces in between aren't evenly spaced out and it's freaking me out. Oh, so I no. don't feel like it's totally professional, but thank you. It's uh, this was my room divider in grad school, not kindergarten, when uh, <laughs> when I was in Boston, I lived in a little tiny studio and this was my room divider so my bed felt like it wasn't in my living room. Oh, I um, had one of those too. Um and then I would, I think it was just like a clothing rack and I would put it up and be like, this is my wall. And everyone's like, that's not a wall, but. Well, I, it's actually, it was at the BU bookstore, which is so weird. Wait, really? It was, like, it was at like the merch store. Oh, that's I, cool. I don't know what the deal was, but they had, so uh, I bought it for Boston. And then when I came back from Boston, it's literally just been sitting in my bedroom for like six years. Okay. But think and about s- how our paths cross. Maybe I'm just getting too hormonal, but think about how our paths cross where you were at the BU bookstore. My apartment was underneath the BU bookstore, like attached to it. Yeah. And you were buying your like room divider and I was sitting in my like fake room divider and we were, oh. I was like walking all over your big head. Just, <laughs> I was just <laughs> only a couple st- feet up. Stomping around <laughs> upstairs. <laughs> uh, yeah. And 
also like I had to like carry. This was the first time. I mean, it was you. It was literally across the street, so I really don't get to make this seem like it was a big deal. But it was the first time I like lived in the city, and I had to like carry something massive. Oh yeah, in a city to my apartment instead of just like putting it in a car, and I felt so silly carrying this big fucking thing through the street. (laughs) But uh, it was like the first time I was like, oh my god, this is city living. Oh yeah, I remember I went to Trader Joe's and I was like, I have to carry these bags home. What is this? Anyway, no, uh, for people wondering, this is not my actual uh, home in Los Angeles. Alison would never allow that. She would not be happy with it. She'd allow it, but she would definitely She she totally would. (laughs) She would allow it, but not not in a good mood. (laughs) She... uh, You'd I pay know, for I, it, maybe. I last minute decided that I was going to stay in... I didn't even plan... So the last time I saw you, I wasn't even supposed to be in Virginia. No, I know. Um, so you're like, how did I get here? I don't know. I what are you doing here? Where are you? <laughs> so like three weeks ago... I haven't been home in like three weeks. I, know. I went to South Carolina with Allison's family for their like family trip. And very long story short, my mom was actually in North Carolina at the same time I was in South Carolina. And so she said, if you cancel your flight and find a way to North Carolina, instead of going to LA, we could hang out. I could, you know, I drove here so I could drive you back to Virginia. You can hang out in Virginia for a little bit. And then I only planned on being in Virginia for like two days. It's now been like a week. So anyway, I needed, and by the way, actually the way I got to, I met my mom in North Carolina. Did you know there's a massive rental car shortage right now? Uh, yes. Only because I, I didn't. Was, yeah, it's bad, and it's they're so expensive. I found out the hard way, which, and by hard way, I mean I canceled my flight to LA, <gasps> and then I reserved a rental car, which apparently only means you're like calling oh, dibs no. if a car's available, but there wasn't a car available. And you they don't didn't get tell a me, car. Oh fuck! They, they didn't tell me until I got there, and they're like, "Oh yeah, there is no car for you," and I was like. But I reserved one, and they were like, "That's not." How this They're like, works. "Yeah, you and all these other people." Oh my god! So I got stranded in the Carolinas, and Allison's already left by now. Yeah, I'm bye. just like on my own with my suitcase, walking around the streets, and I called like thirty places, oh, and I was no. I even thought like, what if I take an Uber an hour into another county? Would they have something? Or what if I took three Ubers to yeah. get all the way to North Carolina? I ended up deciding on getting a U-Haul, which is technically a rental car. Oh, wow. And I took a... But I'm not the only one who had this idea. Oh, and shit. so the only like available U-Haul they had was like one of the massive ones that like I feel like I should have needed another license to drive. Oh, no. So I drove that all the way to North Carolina. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. It was pretty... It was a fun little adventure. Did you just myself. have your tiny little away suitcase in the back? <laughs> I literally had one suitcase in the front seat and a massive empty trunk. Like, I feel a- like you could have used that to your advantage, like gone like antique shopping or something. I really should have. I already had like the ability to lug a bunch of stuff. Or you could have charged people to like move their I shit I could have. I also could have just gotten a mattress, just like slept in there. Why not? Like, I could have made in. a whole thing of it. <laughs> but anyway, so I started in South Carolina and planned on only being there, but I found my way to Virginia and I haven't left. And in, now you're like, stuck in your weeks, childhood so. home, which happens. I feel like every time I go home, I'm like, I'll just hang out a little longer. You get comfortable. <laughs> well, I'm in the danger zone now because this is not the mic that I usually record on. That's I actually right. got my own recording stuff for Fredericksburg now so now I'm now when I go home I don't have the excuse of like oh I've got to get back to LA because I have to record and all my stuff's there now I just have all this stuff like a full-on studio setup here wow 
it's going to be easier for us too for scheduling because now I you're can... on East Coast time. That does make it a lot easier. I'm not going to lie. We're kicking Eva yep. out. You're on East Coast time. Like <laughs> y- this is getting really bad shit crazy. It's, it's like, getting crazy. <laughs> I don't know what we're doing, but we're like turning things upside down. Anyway, it's been a really chaotic three weeks because every couple of days I think I'm going home and then I find and then I change my mind. So it's it's become a big thing. But anyway, that's why I drink. Why well, do you drink? Are Christine? you only you're only two states away from me now? I think. Mm-hmm. Kentucky yep. to Virginia. I think there's just West Virginia in between us. Yeah. Oh, hi, Em. I'm waving Is to it? you. Yeah, I've got, we've got Tennessee, North Carolina, and Wash- and West Virginia surrounding us. Yeah. I've so got Tennessee be- and West Virginia. So we're sort of, <laughs> sort of close. We're snuggling. We're trying to weave in there. There's somebody the in between us. Rude. I know. Uh, Lordy. But hi, I miss you. I miss I'm- you too. How's the baby? Oh, my God. Well, you know, I know some people are like, I don't want to hear about the pregnancy, which I'm like, okay, fine. But otherwise, we get to hear you get to hear about our loud neighbors or our glasses being broken. So I'm like, you know what? Whatever. Just like a newsflash to people. The baby's going to like be around in a much bigger way. People aren't a little thrilled bit. about that. I think some, <laughs> most people are have been lovely, but you know, not everybody, but that's okay. Um, So I'm just going to say one quick thing, which is that I went to the doctor today and the baby is completely sideways. So my doctor was is like, that bad? Yeah, because okay. they're supposed to be head down by now. Because like, uh-huh. if they're going to come out, they got to not be sideways. Cause so are not... we looking at a C-section situation? That's the potential uh, option, unless I can make, make, make them like flipperoo. So we'll see. Can you just like take your belly and just kind of like. So that you know? they actually do that. They actually do like turn. Do, it's like a, I think it's called CSV or C. I think. And um, yeah, they can like manually try to turn the baby, but it only works like 60% of the time. And apparently it's kind of painful. Um, so I don't know. Uh, they're doing an ultrasound next week to like figure out if it's. <laughs> but he was like, Yikes. have a talk with your child. I was like, oh, okay. Have, have a talk. <laughs> have a talk. Okay. How about I'll have a talk too. Put the microphone, put the headphones on. <laughs> change switch around <laughs> maybe you know it's not the baby's fault they probably got your big ass head so it just can't it can't get there it's my trying. mom said that i was also a uh, breach and my i was face up which is also not good so i was a c-section too so i'm like maybe that's genetic but anyway i was a little bit of both because apparently oh. i uh my head got out and then i was too big and so the doctors like shoved me back in what and then they did a c-section wait what do you mean i couldn't get out i couldn't get out i was i was born 24 inches i was a two foot tall baby that's heinous and i don't think my my mom bless her couldn't shove out my shoulders so i think they were like well let's do it quick oh god i'm a little bit of both fun fact that's horrifying and then well, I won't say the rest. It's kind of graphic. But I anyway. I'm- <laughs> yeah, see, this is what people don't want from me. Now Hem's doing it. So there, you suck it, everybody. <laughs> uh, anyway, I it was a big fucking baby. Let's put it that way. Uh, I was pretty big, too. I was like, te- I think almost 10. You were three weeks late, Christine. I know, I know. Yeah, I was bound to be baby. gigantic. Yeah, I was like 10 pounds. Anyway, point being, you know, I'm just like, I knew the baby was sideways. I could feel it. And I kept saying that because I was like, I'm being punched on both sides, like kicked and punched at the same time. And no one believed me. And I'm like, well, I told you. Because they're like, well, 95% of babies are the correct way. And I was like, I can almost guarantee you mine will not be. Just like, knowing. Um, let's start Let's start right now, Doc. This baby's not going to be <laughs> let's start uh, there, yeah. the average, Two the steps standard back. baby. Yeah. Don't this set your expectations baby. so high. <laughs> um, anyway, but yeah, so all good. I went to Connecticut for my beautiful mother-in-law through like a really sweet baby shower. And it was so nice and fun and like. 
I don't know. No, one, I just feel like no one's ever done something so nice for me before. Or for I don't know. It was like really special and um, lovely. And there was a hurricane, but we avoided the hurricane and uh, survived. And now I'm back home. And I don't know. You really do have the mother-in-law of a lifetime. I'm like she. Amazed. She is. I can't think of someone who I know I've said before, like describe people as like a peach, but like she is a peach. Like she's the sweetest just like on top of shit but not in like an you know not in like an in your face way just like so on top of it always so warm so, so loving warm. yes and oh, has six children who are all just like well adjusted and normal I'm like how did you, you really do found it? like the brady bunch and it's very odd it's very yeah, and odd. i've definitely dated people where in the past i'm like are these going to be my in-laws oh no oh no you know so i get the i get the like not having good in-laws thing but like wow wow she's just like such a gem so i'm just very thankful i got to see lisa and everybody and all of blaze's siblings nice. and anyway so um we were very close to each other briefly then because i was driving through west virginia um Ooh, so i, I waved, was on the east i waved yeah to i waved Aww. back don't worry i know i, I, I a chill went down my spine i didn't know you why, hid under the covers you were, <laughs> you were driving by anyway that's uh. all i've got emothy uh just somebody please pray that my child turns itself upside down because i'm i'm not you know I'm not feeling this getting kicked on both sides thing. It's not great. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, uh, sending good vibes <laughs> to good you vibes. and Thanks. the little parasite who doesn't seem so little anymore. The hellion in my bellion, yes. The hellion in your bellion. And one day there'll be the hellion out of your bellion. Oh, yeah. It's going to yeah. be One day odd. in like four weeks. Ah! I can't process it. No. We've only got four weeks left to uh, make bets on what this baby's going to look like. I hope it hope it has your little dimples, but I hope it has Blaze's eyes. Wow, oh. those are some nice eyes. Blaze some good eyes. You know what you should do is do like a little... um, A sketch. Yes. Okay. <laughs> like, a, put, like a police I'll put sketch. Little, little horns on their forehead. It's going to yeah, be so sweet. You can describe it to the sketch artist. Like, there were these horns coming out and these sharp teeth. There was teeth. A, a slit in the tongue. It was it crazy. Was it was scary. Like, <laughs> hooves everywhere. And it'll look okay. just like the baby. It looks just like mama. Okay, so... <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Everyone knows the holidays can take a toll on your bank account. If you're looking for creative ways to increase revenue, then get started with Squarespace's new feature, Squarespace Courses. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with the powerful built-in Fluid Engine Editor. With Squarespace courses, you can create engaging content your audience will love, then simply add a paywall and set the price. Plus, you can charge a one-time fee or sell subscriptions. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to www.squarespace.com slash drink to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. It feels very fitting that Juniper is currently sitting on my lap uh, because we all want our cats to be healthy and happy because when they're happy, we're happy. But because we're not mind readers, we don't always know when they're unwell. And in my experience, cats are not the most, you know, open when it comes to sharing their woes. And there goes Juni, literally jumped right off me. So helping us keep tabs on our cat's health is just one reason you should use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell, thank God. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. 
Plus, the crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can for Blaze, because that's his job. Here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in our cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues. And Pretty Litter ships free right to your door in a small, lightweight bag. Pretty Litter has changed the game. The litter box is right near Leona's room, and so it is very delightful to not have that litter smell all the time when she's taking a nap. Plus, we can rest easy knowing that Juniper and his little kidneys are healthy. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash ATWWD and use code ATWWD to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD to save 20%. prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's my story for this week. Can't wait. Um, Diving in as quickly as I can. So (laughs) this is a two-parter. I didn't plan on it being a two-parter, but it just turned into a lot of information. Um, And this, I don't know how people are going to feel about this because it's not spooky in any way, but it's the history of something famously spooky. Okay. And the second one is going to be even less spooky it's going to be more why are you setting up the next episode to be not spooky because it's more true crimey oh that's spooky to me i hope everyone likes these but i have i have gotten a lot of vague tweets and requests for this and i don't know if i'm giving you what you wanted because i didn't really get any more except the topic and i don't know what direction you wanted me to go but this is what we're doing well it's better than i mean it's not better than but it's I mean, you did black holes one time. I'll just put it out there. So, I like, did. And you know what? Sadly, that was the one that everyone says is like their favorite episode. Oh, really? And I was like, yeah, it's, I've gotten so many people writing in being like, the black holes episode was my favorite. And really? I was like, that was an accident. Yeah, honestly, if we do like a science episode, a science podcast, they're all going to regret saying that because like, it was a one, one and done, one hit wonder on your part, I think. I like to think that people just thought it was very precious that I somehow found a way to make something spooky when it actually wasn't spooky. I had a great time listening to it because it was different, you know, and like, whatever. That's true. But what, so what is it? What's the topic? So this is the history of Ed and Lorraine Warren in <gasps> the Conjuring universe. Oh, the Conjuring universe. Wow. Okay. Like wow. the Conjuring cinematic universe. Yeah. Um, okay. I, this is exciting. It sounds spooky. I mean... So this one's going to mainly be a biography on Ed and Lorraine Warren. And then the second part is the more scandalous situations, which I think your ooh is going to turn into ooh. Yeah, probably. uh, So we'll worry about that next week. But this is the part. This is the part you're allowed to be excited about. because (laughs) Nothing controversial comes up in it. I feel like you like like walking (laughs) on glass, you know, trying to. Hey, I felt like you in the part where I'm talking about scandals because I was like, oh, God, like the last people I want to insult are like famed parapsychologists and all this. So, okay, so this is part one of Ed and Lorraine Warren. So uh, this episode most of my information came from youtube videos as well as a documentary on discovery plus by the way christine thank you for letting me use oh your you're so welcome butthead is that what i called you poophead poophead, poophead. yeah <laughs> i didn't ask you either if i could uh use the account i just no, assumed i gave you the... still an active name excuse me poophead <laughs> is active and waiting for your arrival always well poophead had a good time last night watching this documentary <laughs> it's called the devil's road and it was the, like, the true story Ooh. of Ed and lorraine warren and so that was a lot of the basic information I got. 
the second uh, episode that I'm going to do on this, I got a lot from The Hollywood Reporter. Oh, so, okay. Because they did an expose in 2017. Oh, I love an expose. I love an expose. So, <laughs> you know me in drama. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, in case those of you do not know, Ed and Lorraine Warren, I have talked about them a lot on the show. They are... I would say the most famous paranormal investigators. They started back in like the 60s and they were known to be on almost every famous case throughout the 70s and 80s. They're a married couple. Ed is a demonologist and just super fascinated with this stuff. And some would say he's an expert in this. And Lorraine herself is a clairvoyant medium. Mm. And together they just took on every paranormal case that came their way, especially in New England because they lived right. in Connecticut. So um, they also worked on allegedly around 10,000 cases Holy during crap. their time. I don't know if that's like they were heavily involved in 10,000 cases or if they were just somehow consulting sure. in, in some that's way. a lot. Their adventures, their ghost adventures, some might say, <laughs> um, it inspired the... Oh, no, the police are coming. That's a trademark <laughs> phrase. You know he's Sorry. like trademarked the shit out of that. Our Sorry, I meant, I meant the, the spirit quest. Um, <laughs> so uh, everything that Ed and Lorraine's legacy uh, has been inspired the Conjuring series, the horror movies. Uh, there are several Conjuring, ser- uh, Conjuring movies. There's three called The Conjuring, as well as The Nun. There's the Annabelle trilogy. Um, La Llorona is also one, which I have covered La Llorona myself. Um, Annabelle, I've covered... Um, I have their episode numbers as I talk about them. So Spooky. If, for our show. So if you want to go back and listen to these in better detail, you can go check out those episodes. So anyway, the fun fact, the Conjuring series grossed over a billion dollars already. Oh, and my God. Behind the Godzilla movies, it is the second most successful horror franchise. Whoa. And I also like to call it the Conjuring Cinematic Universe because much like what Marvel has done, all of the Conjuring movies tie into one <gasps> another. And all of them, at least most of them, star Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga as Ed and Lorraine Warren. And oh, it's, I didn't know that. Yeah. I've never so, seen any of those movies that you listed. So They're, all, they're also very well-done horror movies. Well, I'm so. never going to watch them, so don't even try, everybody. Not going to happen. Fun fact in The Conjuring 1, Lorraine Warren actually had a cameo in the movie. Really? That's fun. Mm -hmm. So Lorraine, while she was alive, she was heavily involved in the production of the films, but Ed actually never lived to see one of the movies. So I think she felt responsible for doing it justice for him. Sure. So the Conjuring universe comes from the Warner Brothers company or their division called New Line. And... A lot of times the stories were, quote, based on a true story of the Warrens. So I'm only telling you about the Conjuring universe because Warner Brothers slash New Line um, that made these movies, they end up in some legal trouble in the future, uh, which eventually leads to some general PR issues with the Warrens' personal history. So we'll talk about that next week. But for now, let's just learn how they came to be. So in 1926, uh, Edward Warren... Miney or Mini? M-I-N-E-Y. Miney? I would say Miney. Uh, I didn't know that their last name Warren was actually his middle name. Fun. Oh. So Edward Warren Miney was born in 1926 in Bridgeport, Kentucky. Or not Kentucky. Bridgeport, Connecticut. Oh, I was like, there's a Bridgeport, Kentucky. Bridgeport. <laughs> I know Bridgeport, Connecticut. Well, that's where they're from. Both okay. of them were born there. So that's fun. 
1926, Ed was born, and he lived in a haunted house. He says that he heard doors, doors opening and closing. He heard footsteps. He heard names being called out in the middle of the night. And in particular, he would hear uh, something in his closet. And when he no. would go check to see what it was, he would see a ball of light growing and eventually morph into an old woman's face. <gasps> and apparently this ball of light slash old woman's face would come out of the closet and into the middle of his room at night. Ugh. And he would hear breathing. He saw shadows, kind of the whole haunted shebang. And he asked his dad about it eventually. And his dad said, there was nothing to worry about because there's always a logical reason for everything in this house. But the ironic part is that his father never gave him a logical reason. <laughs> yeah. just, there's just a like, reason. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's like, there's a reason. Maybe you're not supposed to know it, but there's a reason. Ooh. So his dad was, his dad might have also been freaked out and just trying to like cover it up or, you know, sweep it under the rug. Yeah. So. Never really heard any more about that from his dad, but his dad was aware that things were going on and just said, like, I don't know. <laughs> Something's it's happening. It's the pipes. It's the pipes. Uh, so Ed was brought up Catholic, and he remembers at eight years old the first time he ever heard of an exorcism because he remembers a pastor telling his dad at a church or at church that day that a guy down the street was being possessed and that he, <laughs> this guy that was being possessed, was turning into a pig. And what? he would make the sounds of a pig. There were like really bad smells of a pig that he was like looking like a pig, like turning into one. It's very okay. weird. Okay. Um, and apparently they were going to do an exorcism on him. And this is the first time Ed ever heard it, which interests me in that, like, I want to know the history about Ed's dad. Like, why are even pastors going up to this guy and mentioning things yeah, like, like why this? Why is he even in the circle of this? Event? Yeah. Yeah, why is his dad getting mentioned? And he also has his own haunted house that he's, like, not telling his kid about. It sounds yeah, like well, he... I wonder because Catholics are very superstitious and, like, definitely believe in demons and stuff. It's, like, very much ritualistic religion. Yeah. Like, it's very... But, but they don't like it. Like, they don't want to talk. They don't want to address it. They don't want to... So maybe it was, like, a he... He was very afraid of it, but didn't want to go there, maybe? I don't, I don't know. know. But also, he was interested enough to keep hearing about it or be included in that circle. I don't know. Maybe he was just, like, very involved in the Catholic Maybe. Church. Maybe. <laughs> I feel like you got to be so high up in the church for, like, the pastors to be telling you about but the But there's also no pastors in Catholic. Or what, the priest? Or priest. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know what the title is, official title is. Priests, I would um, say, probably. Okay. But yeah, like you have to be pretty high up for the priests oh. to be including you in their weird secret stuff. That's like, in the oh. pig exorcism, <laughs> you know, like, was it actually a pig? Like, did they show up and they were like, see this man? And it's like, that, well, we never hear pig. anything else about oh. it. Well, he he just said the first time I ever heard about an exorcism was when the guy came up to my dad and said, oh, we're doing an exorcism on this possessed come? guy down the street. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, basically all that to say Maybe that the Ed, priest was just like really oversharing and just like told everybody. Honestly, if you were about to perform an exorcism, wouldn't you want to tell everyone? Yes, too? I would tell you the know? world, right? And I feel like even especially the guy who was not interested and was scared of it, I'd be like, right. I have somebody to tell you. Yeah, just really fuck him uh. up for the night. So all that to say that Ed Warren just kind of was always surrounded by this stuff from a young age. And sure. that's how his fascination for learning about this came to be. So a year after he was born in 1927, Lorraine Rita Moran was born in also Bridgeport, Connecticut. <laughs> Connecticut? <laughs> What's going on with my voice? I can't I say know, any like single it. word today. Oh. So Lorraine is the clairvoyant of the two. She's the one with actual psychic gifts. Sure. 
And she has had these gifts since she was nine years old or around there. And she said she could see auras when she was mm. a little kid. And she thought everyone could. She didn't realize that she was like That's odd man out. Um, fun fact. Good auras are apparently pastel colored. <laughs> and I, and then when asked about bad auras, she just said they're terrible. <laughs> they're terrible. What, they're like poop brown or something? Like, <laughs> I, imagine, I imagine like they're like, t- like, like soul like scary terrible like scary colors or like, i don't know i don't know maybe just a marble like sharp black gray i don't know sharp auras can somebody What's, tell me what color my aura is i'm curious i'm gonna guess uh-huh. a purpley pink oh really interesting or an orange something on the in the red spectrum okay is that good and, i hope so i don't know also like just somebody t- i'm curious what are our auras somebody tell us also, can someone someone who sees auras, can you see it through a computer? Good question. Like through photos? I think so, because I follow one, uh, I think her name's Mystic Michaela or something, and she posts like about celebrities and stuff and will like talk about their auras. So I assume huh. you can see it from. Also, do auras, do they show up as different colors to different people because they represent different Great things? Great question. Like, could I see your aura being like purpley pink, but that's actually it's green Just to someone else, but they both mean different. Yeah. Like my version of purpley pink is like, oh, she sweats a lot. But like green <laughs> means she sweats a lot to someone else. Like, so they're just different colors, but the that's same just meaning. my sweat leaving my body or seeing. That's not my aura. <laughs> Why <laughs> is it purple? Hang on. <laughs> well, because I took a class on auras once in LA, obviously. Where the hell else uh-huh. would it? Kentucky? No. Um, back in LA. And uh, it was like people would talk about auras, but they were all the same. Like people would see the same color. So I think it's huh. this. I think it's meant to be the same across the board but that makes me feel a little more safe with it then because i imagine if you if everyone could see a different color but it, they all meant the same thing there could be a lot more phonies out there saying oh well i oh, see completely it as, yeah you know what i mean yeah anyway so she could see auras from a really young age thought everyone could do this when she was a kid she went to a prestigious catholic girls school and this is where she realized that she kind of should keep these gifts to herself (laughs) they don't like that (laughs) they do not like that so there was one time at school where they were like planting a tree together as like a class project or something and she didn't see the little sapling they were planting she saw a massive tree in front of her as if she could see it all grown up whoa and a teacher asked how come you're looking at the sky and lorraine said she could see the tree and the teacher said uh can you see the future and lorraine said i guess i can or i guess i am and i think that was when the nuns were like okay so that's the devil like (laughs) yeah she's just in the corner now right 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 uh another time there were two nuns watching over the class one named mother superior and one named sister joseph and uh i think mother superior is just like the head nun oh i'm pretty sure you would know so much better than me but anyway, Mother Superior and Sister Joseph were watching over the class, and Lorraine said, uh, "Hey, look, Sister Joseph, Sister Joseph's lights are brighter than Mother Superior." Oh. <laughs> also, like roasting Yikes. Mother Superior, yep, exactly. Like, not so superior, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently, nobody else could see them, and that's when she realized she was like alone in what was going on. <laughs> um, Mother Superior overheard this Uh-oh. and probably offended and also spooked. Uh, she told Lorraine, you don't get to talk about things like that. Like that, don't say things like that. Don't talk about my lights like that. 
Yeah, my lights are fine. And uh, ignore the fact that they're black as can be. Dusty. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, But no, so she said it was when she was encouraged to like never talk about that stuff. Okay. So Lorraine said that she never wanted to be different. She was so scared of freaking people out. She never even told her parents about it until she got older. Um, I don't even know if she ever actually told them. I don't know when her parents passed. Right. I imagine if they were around during her fame, they found out. But, sure. Um, she never told them as a kid. And she didn't understand her gifts for a while, but she doesn't regret them. And she says the only problem with that is that the only problem with her gifts is that after every event where they came in handy, it took a toll on her. Oh, interesting. So over time, it just kind of wasn't healthy. It was draining. Draining, yes. So in 1944, when they were both 16, this is when Ed and Lorraine meet. And she, every Wednesday, would go to the movies with her mom, and he ushered at the movies. And so they started talking, and apparently, this is, I saw this from one interview, and I didn't see it anywhere else, but apparently Lorraine, when she saw him, just like how instead of seeing a sapling, she saw the big tree in the future, instead of looking at him, she saw an older version of him that she somehow knew was her husband. Oh my goodness. I know. That's really sweet. I mean, it's kind of creepy because if you can't see the kid, you're like 16 and you're (laughs) like, that old man is my husband. But look, at least she saw the old man was like, you'll do. Yeah, that's true. I guess. (laughs) I I hope that she understood. I don't know. Yikes. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. But so uh, she said that she saw him as an older man, the man that she would marry. That's kind of cute. More or less the quote. And they both had interests in the supernatural from childhood. Apparently, he was one of the first people she trusted about Aww. talking with her gifts or talking to about her gifts. And only a year later, on his 17th birthday, he went into the Navy for World War II. So Uh-oh. most of their relationship was writing back and forth to each other. But while he was gone, while he was deployed, his ship sank and had one of like the worst disasters of the war it was like i think it crashed into like some sort of tanker and there was like fire all over the water and people were dying left and right and he's one of the people who survived my god he said that he remembers like an angel rescuing him or that um Mm -hmm. he was surrounded by like a ring of fire where he like should have not been able to get out but he watched it just like separate by itself enough for him to get out i don't know so Anyway, he ended up surviving when a lot of people didn't, and he got to go on, like, I think it was called Survivor's Leave or Rescue Leave, or Mm. it was basically after so much fucking trauma, you got a little time off. Wow, how nice. (laughs) Yeah. And so while he was on leave, that's when he married Lorraine. Okay. She was 18, he was 19, and, like, the day after they got married, he had to go back to war. So That was, like, near the end, right? Because if they met in 1944... That and they got been, married in 1945. Yeah, that would have been. So weird. he ended up he ended up leaving the war at 22. So like two or three years later. Oh geez. But he did say in the documentary he was like, oh yeah, we got married uh, that night. We like left to like go have our honeymoon, and the next day I had to come back and go Oof. back to the war. Yeah. Oh my god. So anyway, he got out when he was 22. At this point, uh, I guess while he was on leave, this happened, but. She ended up getting pregnant while he was still at war. That and honeymoon. Daughter. That honeymoon was a <laughs> real one and done. One and done. One hit wonder. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and they had their daughter, Judy. And that's their Aww. only kid they ever had. And so he comes back from war at 22. They've got the baby. She's 21. And originally, according to Lorraine, they thought that they would 
end up making a living on being artists. Oh. They both really like to paint. That's interesting. But they also had this shared interest with the supernatural. And so one of the things they would do a lot of times is visit haunted houses that they would read about. I thought you were going to say paint ghosts. So it's like, cool. Combine well, your interests. Close. Oh. <laughs> so one of the things that he, since they thought they would be artists and that was the only real, he went to like art college. So I think he thought this is how I'm going to support the family. And he would sell paintings of local houses to tourists. Oh, that's fun. And so he would sell them for only 3 to $5 a piece, which at the time, I guess, was more than 3 or $5 yeah. now. I'd be like, if I painted something and someone gave me $3 for it, I'd be so fucking over it. <laughs> you could have $3 <laughs> to look at it for like a yeah. second. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, he, st- he was painting houses. And because they had such an interest in haunted houses, that just became the oh. thing he started painting that's cool or became like his like side interest of like oh i paint local houses for tourists but also like my my favorite thing to do is paint haunted houses i love that so he ended up he was really fascinated with haunted houses still they would go visit them a lot and he was learning about them through apparently i only saw this on one source but it had me go check everything out that Ed learned about haunted houses around New England or wherever they could travel to from a magazine called Fate Magazine, Ooh. Um, which I am now a card-carrying yeah, subscriber you are. to. <laughs> um, I officially became a member last night to okay. Fate Magazine. That and Arizona Highways. You are And set. Arizona Highways. <laughs> so Fate Magazine, their slogan is over 70 years of covering the strange and unknown. So oh, they're- Wait, I want to sign up too. That's it's cool. Like, it's a paranormal magazine. So- <gasps> And I guess even it still exists. They have a digital version. It was $15 for the year, just so you guys know. Uh, do you I get the digital one or the? I got the digital one, but they... I kind of want the hard copy I was going to say, do they have a physical I... one? Because I would love they, that. They do, but I'm one of those people who I'll just never throw it away and I'd feel bad. Yeah, I get you. So just to save myself some sanity, I'm doing it. I just got my trash digital. pile. It's okay. <laughs> I know you'll build a little house of cards out of your trash pile of magazines. <laughs> So uh, he was reading Fate Magazine. That's where he would learn about the haunted houses and they would travel to them. And the way that they really got their break into the paranormal world is he would paint everyday houses and sell them to tourists. But through Fate Magazine, he'd find out about haunted places. And when they would go visit them, he would either paint or sketch that house and then he would have Lorraine, who I guess was more like friendly and warm. He would <laughs> he would give he would give the painting or the sketch to Lorraine and have her go up to the house and then say, uh, my husband's like a, a big artist and he really loves your house. We heard that it was haunted. You know, could we exchange this painting of your house for ghost stories of like, oh, that's you know. cool. Yeah. So that's how they got their big break. They started doing it so consistently that people just knew them as like yeah. the paranormal artists who just <laughs> wanted to like draw your house and in exchange would like get ghost stories from that's you. That's fun. They that's what they ended up doing, and very quickly they became known as the local paranormal enthusiasts um, who just wanted to observe everything, hear about everything, and eventually they started getting called for being like backup help on cases. And that's how from the 50s to the 60s, they got really popular as like, if you have a weird ghost experience and you want someone to care about it, especially in New England, you go to the Warrens. Okay. And so by 1952, they founded the New England SPR instead of just the Society of Psychical Research. They created a New England version of it called the New England Society of Psychical Research. 
and that's where they they were in charge of it and they kind of just used it as like a I guess their company where they would file all their logs or keep all their research from all the cases that they got to go on. Right. And by the 1970s, they were known locally as the Seekers of the Supernatural. Oh, hell yeah. And so that was at the beginning of the 70s, but near the mid-70s, that is where their career fucking skyrocketed. Okay. So this is their first big case, which I actually haven't covered, I don't think. So I'm going to cover it eventually. Their first big, like, groundbreaking case was the Lindley Street Poltergeist. Ooh. I'm not going to go into detail on any of their cases because I've either already covered them or am going to cover them. So sorry for the vagueness during this. But um, this was the first case that apparently had a really large media presence. And they got to be part of the case. They got invited on. And so that really made them popular. And then very quickly after... In the same general area, Amityville happened. Uh-huh. Which, by the way, Amityville was episode four for people that who care that about that. was that long ago? Oh, my God. Episode four, wow. which means I really need to redo it because I'm sure my information I would information love because was... I don't remember Jack all from those early episodes. You should redo Perfect. it. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. So um, expect a future episode on Amityville. So excited. After they investigated the Amityville house, they also went on to do the Smurl house, which was mm. episode five, the episode right after Oh Amityville. my God. Wow. You were just doing hard hitters back then. <laughs> so they, uh, so those three things all happened within like the same like three year oh, time geez. frame, I think. And they were all massive cases that got huge media. Amityville was like a classic bestseller for like the whole decade, I think. Like, and then a movie came out about it only a couple years later. So like Amityville everyone knew about Amityville and even though the Warrens weren't mentioned in the book or the movie in real time if you did your own research you knew that they were involved in the case and that alone put them on the map okay okay so after like especially Amityville but also the Lindley Street Poltergeist and I think it's the Smurl Haunting but especially Amityville that's just like I mean to this day it's still a classic horror story they ended up hitting the press circuit. They were on talk shows. They wrote books about their investigations. They apparently had a short-lived TV series called Seekers of the Supernatural with Ooh. the Warrens, which now I would like to go find on YouTube. Yes. And from the documentary I watched, apparently the best part of what the Warrens were doing during the 70s when they were super big, what they were doing for the paranormal community is that the movie The Exorcist was already out, and so that kind of gave people a glimpse into the fact that there could be an investigator, a paranormal oh. investigator, like in fiction. But this was really this. The Warrens were the people saying like these people actually exist, and it kind of opened the door for other investigators to get interested in this. Okay, um, because now people were talking about it, and I don't know. It just gave people uh, hopes that they could enter that field. Yeah. So they really were like leading the pack during their rise to fame though obviously there were a lot of skeptics who were super harsh and the warrens were ridiculed a lot for the legitimacy Mm. legitimacy of their work and apparently they both took that really hard because one thing i haven't mentioned yet is that the warrens on every case they did they never asked for money they never got they never asked to be charged all they just wanted to help they just wanted to I think they both had their own experiences and just wanted to meet other people who have gone through things. And at this point, they'd gotten so big that they knew how few other people were in this world. Right. And if there was someone who was desperate for help, they were kind of, they just wanted to help. Yeah. So, and eventually, I say all this now, but in the next episode, I talk a lot how a, a lot about how 
people are skeptic of them potentially being grifters because even right. though they weren't getting charged and even though they are even though they weren't getting paid for this um it still boosted their fame and it's still they ended up on talk shows and they still made money from talk shows and book deals i was gonna say that's how they made the money then right it's like being consulted probably for movies and being yeah book right authors so there's one camp that says they were just helping however they could like and they didn't even ask for money they just wanted to help people that needed somebody and nobody was listening but then the other camp is like yeah but this just got them more and more Hmm. opportunities so we'll talk about that next yeah talk about that next week so it's because they kept getting ridiculed and they kept people kept wondering like is lorraine even a clairvoyant like how much does ed really know um lorraine ended up actually getting tested by parapsychologists at ucla just to shut people up and they did find that her abilities were very above average oh um so that alone makes a was just like her way of also feeling validated for herself because since a child she's been like you're not allowed to talk about this and also another thing that ed was known for when he would oh there was an ice machine that freaked me i heard out. that and i got <laughs> your eyes went above your computer and i was like oh my god oh my god oh i'm my god. right next to a refrigerator Oof. right in front of me and it's it's an ice machine also i put a note on the basement door that said on air and i'm sure my mother thinks that's an invitation to walk in <gasps> so air. at any moment Linda, where are you <laughs> on air well it's like it was like a little placard from amazon it's not like i think i'm like that fucking bougie to be like i'm on the air do you fucking mind that's cute but it's it's like a little microphone that says on air and i i feel like my mom thinks that means like, come Ooh. on in. <laughs> So, oh, one of the other things that Ed was famous for during his cases was that he actively was trying to debunk this stuff. He was never looking for ghosts. He was always hoping to be able to explain something so that people wouldn't be scared at night. So a lot of people thought, like, he was in it just for the ghost hunting. But realistically, he was like, I'm here to, like, help people people however I can. But also because they were both Catholics Mm. and, like, very devout Catholics... Um, even though Ed would go into it saying, I'm looking for natural explanations, he was very prepared to always, like, have to expose the He devil. believed in that the demons, like, yeah. <laughs> in the devil. yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, UCLA found out that Lorraine was very above average in her skills. She also has officially been determined, uh, she's officially been deemed a light trance medium versus a deep trance medium. Mm. So with Lorraine, she is very aware of what's going on around her when she goes into her trances or when she's seeing things versus a deep trance person who might wake up and not know where they oh, are I see. or what okay. was going on. For example, the first time that they ever went to a haunted house together, when like visiting a haunted house and letting the owner tell their ghost stories, she like accidentally astral projected, but she was very aware of what <laughs> was going on around her. So <laughs> things like that. So by the 80s, they just helped, girly things, you know, just being a, a girl boss. Just so clairvoyant things, actually. <laughs> Astral projected out of here. So by the 1980s, they are not only wildly popular, but they have helped over a thousand families. Wow. They also created the Occult Museum in their mm. home in Monroe, Connecticut, which is next to Ed's office. Um, and in this museum, Ed would collect artifacts from each of their cases, as well as any investigation files they had or any evidence it was just kind of where they kept everything but again one of the ways that might have been a little grifty is that they were they could also charge people admission to come to the museum 
So and that's a hard like, line because it's like, well, you don't want people just wandering in all the time for free. I like right. So I get the need to like monetize something to make a living, but also I can see how that could also hurt your reputation a little bit. Yeah, but and, like, and but also it is like. I mean, it was the Zach Bagans Museum before the Zach Bagans yes, Museum. It the was OG. come see all of these terrifying things you've heard about. Right. So during their peak, uh, this is one of the better things that they were able to do for people is that during their real fandom and their real fame is that uh, the church was still super secretive. I guess they still are, but even more so than about exorcisms and mm. participating and helping with hauntings. And even when Ed would say, like, these people need help and the local you know, churches would say they didn't want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, That gave Ed in his mind the right to then go to the media. And like, he was like, I'm famous. Like I'll get on TV. I'll bring the media to an investigation. Like I'll really Mm -hmm. like pump this thing up. So that way the church has to pay attention to it. (laughs) Okay. And you're just like cornering them into. Yeah. So he was like, I'm, he would record everything. He would do audio. He would bring cameras. He would record all footage. And if he ever found any evidence, um, he would bring the media with him and like talk about his experiences there and how scary it was and how people needed help. And then the church was like, okay, fine. We'll, we'll bring an exorcism. (laughs) So, uh, or we'll do an exorcism. So Ed actually was quoted saying, you would be shocked how many Catholic priests don't believe there's a devil. Ooh, interesting. So apparently his, he was like, I will give you proof that there is a devil and you have to do something about it because that's your job. Yeah. Um, a lot of times the churches still wouldn't want to help after seeing the footage. And that was when he would bring all the media with him. And this is actually how in the Smurl haunting, he got one of the future popes to help on an investigation. Holy shit. Because it got all the way to the Vatican. <laughs> there was like, <laughs> all the, the way this to family the top. needed help. <laughs> all the way to the top. So also during the height of their fame, they went on lecture circuits, especially at colleges. Uh... And it was... We'll we'll talk a little bit about that just to give like some insight. This is kind of shady in one way because they were really leaning into like the satanic panic of the time and like people were freaking out. And so people would always want to come to their lectures. But Ed Warren took this as an opportunity as a devout Catholic to bring a bunch of college students in who might be swindled by the occult. Mm. And he would have them come to his lectures like in a in preparation like you would prevent them from ever getting involved in that by saying the devil is real don't fuck with that shit don't play with ouija boards don't open portals so he thought of that class in college oops i failed it probably so anyway he took it as like he was almost like like he was doing like the dare program but instead of for Ah. drugs he was doing it for for ghosts that was his idea of the lecture circuit was to keep the devil away and before you even got into that kind of stuff while satanic panic was among us okay but other people saw it more as like taking advantage of the fact that people were into creepy stuff and now they're coming to your lectures for money. So there's a back and forth yep, on that. Yep, yep. So let me see, let me see. Uh, when people would call out Ed for uh, doing all of these things for clout and money, mm-hmm. he would admit out loud that, yes, I am doing this stuff for clout. I am doing it for money because I am, quote, willing to do anything to expose the devil. Whoa. So he thought he was Argue with righteous. That. And he thought he was righteous in this. Other people saw it as like, you're admitting to doing this for clout. Anyway, that's kind of the main gist of their storyline. And in 2006, Ed died. And mm. uh, he died after like a long illness. Oh. And Lorraine, she retired by this point, but she was still a consultant. And after Ed died... 
Lorraine refused to go into the museum with all of the items mm. alone. And she said after she passed, she wants everything to go to the Vatican. <laughs> the uh, Vatican's like, we did not sign up for this. That's <laughs> all this mail coming to our P.O. box. That's her, that's her dream, at least. I have a hunch it's actually going to end up in Las Vegas at Z-V. Zach's house. <laughs> the modern day Pope, if you will. Exactly. So <laughs> in 2019, uh, Lorraine's death was announced on their... New England SPR Facebook group, which her daughter and son-in-law now are in charge of. Um, so they've kind of taken on this legacy in a way, especially the son-in-law. He like is really into this stuff mm. and has done whatever he can. Fun fact, when Lorraine did die, the night that she was put into a coffin, the undertaker said that on the security cameras, there were a bunch of orbs floating <gasps> around her all night. Oh, um, guardians. And, yeah. And there's, I'm going to end on a quote from Lorraine that says... Uh, just to, I don't know, revalidate that they really believed in the work that they were doing. Mm-hmm. Lorraine said, where haunting phenomena is occurred, we have never met a true atheist in a haunted home. Ooh, so, I just got chills. So anyway, that is the very condensed biography of Ed and Lorraine Warren. And next week we will talk about the legal scandals <gasps> that have come out in recent years okay. about the Okay. So. Wow, I really liked that actually, Em. I thought you did a great job. Thank you. That was I, fascinating. I I hope I did it a little justice. I I'm I hope people that was what people were hoping for. Yeah. I mean it gives because, context to a lot of the things you've talked about already and Yeah. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. And next week we will talk about how the Conjuring universe has been involved in these scandals as I well. I love so, it. Yay. There you have it. I know most of our listeners have probably watched the Conjuring unlike one of the hosts of the show. If not, maybe this will give you a you know, a a second try at watching them nah. or an interest in watching them. I don't know. I don't know, maybe not. <laughs> uh you made me watch fucking Sinister that one time, so I don't know. I won't put it past. That me. has nothing to do with the Warrens, to be fair. <laughs> Just saying. Explore new possibilities, pleasure zones, and find your vibe at funlove.com. Funlove.com is a leading online retailer of sensual health and wellness products, offering a wide array of premier brands of toys, lingerie, and accessories. I know I've talked about it before, but we received the most lovely gift basket from Funlove. First of all, I didn't know what it was at first, and then when I pulled out a vibrator, I thought, oh boy, this is not your everyday fruit basket. There was everything, I'm telling you, from sexy perfumes to toys to vibrators to lube. I mean, I gotta say, it's like a one-stop shop, okay? If you go to funlove.com and you're looking for maybe a romantic evening, either with a loved one or with yourself, they've got what you're looking for, I can promise you. So what are you waiting for? Explore, discover, indulge, and make love fun by visiting funlove.com. And if you live in Arizona or Colorado, check out one of their 18 store locations. Hey, maybe I'll stop by when I'm in town. And for a limited time, you can save 30% off your first order when you use the code DRINK at funlove.com. Head to funlove.com today and use code DRINK at checkout to save 30% off your first order. Visit funlove.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Okay, Emothy. Oh, tell me. 
Tell me. Okay. Um, first of all, we just had like a quick break, folks, and I get back on the Zoom call and Em is like wandering around <laughs> without their headphones on, like screaming because I can hear that. They can't hear me. And I was like, something's on fire. <laughs> I'm like, what happened? I still, and by the, the way, we, I'm, we hung up. We hopped back on. I'm a little on edge because I never found out what the culprit is, but something does smell like it's burning. I'm convinced Linda's burning a pot roast upstairs, but like, hopefully it's nothing worse Let than me, that. Hang on. Call Tom. <laughs> oh, no. I just want to make sure upstairs that, like, someone is there. Well, let me call my stepbrother, actually. Call Brendan. Because he, he works upstairs by the kitchen. And I just... He's also been known to burn things. <laughs> Sorry, Brendan. I don't know if he even has his phone on him. I'm like... It really does smell like something's burning. What? Do you want to run upstairs? Hey, uh, is something burning in the kitchen? Mom's cooking. Okay, got it. Thank you. I okay, knew it. bye. <laughs> okay, cool. I freaking <laughs> knew really, it, man. I called it. He really it. did. He was like, "Your mom's cooking," and I went, "Aha, that sh- that tracks." Okay, <laughs> that okay, check. Got it. No worries. Em was like, "Oh, but like, so again, I'm I'm not Em's not able to hear me, but Em's like." Well, if something goes up in flames, like, let me know. And I'm just watching the screen like, what am I going to be quiet? Just sit here and watch you go up in flames. Mm. But we'd, we'd, re- we'd have it for posterity's sake. I'm I did recording. tell Christine. Um, M said for insurance purposes. I said for TikTok followers. But like, both I did give Christine permission. Correct. And I'm letting everyone else know now that if I were to ever not make it out and, so, and it got recorded, you have my, my, I don't know, my blessing to do whatever you want with that if it's gonna if it's gonna boost you if it's gonna get you out of a day at work you know do whatever it takes i okay yeah i mean that goes both ways always thank you um obviously so if uh we are we need to send this to our pr team now so that they're prepared for when one of us gets in hot water for (laughs) tweeting about the other's demise (laughs) Uh, well anyway (laughs) okay so now that you're not on fire and linda is (laughs) she might be um (laughs) <laughs> I I have a story for you. Um, I'm actually doing a two-parter today as well. So oh, fun. Okay. We've never done a double two-parter. It's a quadruple-parter, technically. Oh, little quadruplets. What uh? What is oh, this one sweet. about? Is it is it horrible, Christine? Is it so sad? It's not like fun. I mean, it's it's. Yeah, but crime. is it gonna really bother me? You know, well, compared to it's the story. Is, just go. It's the story of. Foxy Noxy. That sounds AKA. precious. Oh, you don't know who Foxy Noxy is? Okay. This no, is it's the story. Sounds like they hang a, out in the, in the box with the fox eating locks or something. It's, it's a Dr. Seuss children's book, actually. No. Um, it is the story of Amanda Knox. Oh, there was a movie about Amanda Knox. <laughs> yeah. Right? So you don't remember this story from like high school or whenever this happened? No. Oh my gosh. Okay, it's a huge Okay, wow. Okay, well so I get to tell you the story then, I guess. Okay. The first time. Great. Perfect. You don't uh, know any background of it? I don't know any background. Oh, okay. I know nothing. I like when I get to do this. Okay, educate me. I feel I feel so <laughs> behind since uh, it shocked you that I don't know who I, this It kind of is. did. Um yeah, it's a big story. Uh it was, you know, when we were in high school and Renee was actually living in Italy it takes place in Italy and Renee was living in Italy that year so I remember when it happened and she was over there and I was like so she got to live it all firsthand watching what was going on 
Um, okay, so I'm just going to tell you the story then. It's a two-parter because this is a long one. Um, and the wow, reason okay. it's kind of come back to the spotlight is because uh, it's been claimed that Matt Damon's new film, Stillwater, like rips off the story. Um, oh. And so it's kind of come back into the news uh, because Stillwater, which is Matt Damon's new film, follows uh, Matt Damon's character as he travels to France after his daughter is imprisoned for murdering her lover. And the director, Tom McCarthy, told Vanity Fair that it was directly inspired by the Amanda Knox saga. So mm. um, Amanda's wow. been dragged back out into the spotlight. Matt Damon is not having a good month. <laughs> Matt Damon? Wait, what else happened with him? Oh, God. he So the F word slur for queer people, Ooh. primarily gay men. Uh, he, a very, it, it, I don't know if he very proudly, but he did seem proud of himself that he just recently stopped saying it after his daughter educated him on what the word history was. What? So everyone kind of was throwing shade at him of like, it took you how long? Wow, we're and, so proud of you. <laughs> well, there was really funny memes about it online where it was like, uh, I, I'm going to say the meme and I, if you don't understand the reference, I'll explain it. But it will hurt my feelings, so please laugh anyway. Um, that there was a a meme of like Matt Damon potentially saying the F word or saying the F word, and then Hillary Duff coming out in a clothing store and saying, like, hey, that's not cool. Because remember the MTV PSA she did about saying gay is like as a bad word isn't good. <laughs> oh Do you remember God. that? Vague like so vaguely. There so for those of you who are not our age and are younger hillary duff when she was like at her peak she did this psa uh on mtv where it was there were two girls uh walking through a mall and they like picked up a an alf something some article of clothing you're like oh i hate that it's so gay it looks so gay because we all used to say everything (laughs) was so gay to imply bad and hillary duff comes out of fucking nowhere in the mall and she goes (laughs) hey you can't say that like imagine if i said that is so girl wearing like an outdated top and the girl was wearing an outdated top and like but she like she was she's considered a gay icon for this psa where she was like think about what you say and oh like, my god i don't even remember that so there was a meme going around bringing that back saying that matt damon's daughter is the real life hillary duff wait that's <laughs> very cute i mean shocking that like 2021 is the time to figure that out but okay I know. I know. Uh, anyway, so Matt Damon, in summary, is not doing hot this month. Yeah, well, <laughs> so. apparently not, because now he's ripping off this story, allegedly. Um, and on Amanda Knox's Medium page, where she writes like a lot of blog articles, blog articles, okay, I'm like a thousand, but <laughs> where she writes a lot of pieces for Medium, um, in an article published July 29th of 2021, a.k.a. like a month ago, and she opens with the sentences, does my name belong to me? Does my face? What about my life? My story? Why is my name used to refer to events I had no hand in? Mm. I return to these questions because others continue to profit off my name, face, and story without my consent. Most recently, the film Stillwater. Wow. So okay. back in the limelight. Now we're going to go over the real story behind Amanda Knox and what has happened to lead up to this point. I grew up with this case, like, I remember this case very clearly. It was one of the first ones that I, like, followed because I was, what, like, 17 or something like that, like, late high school, and it was 
huge uh, at the time. I mean, I guess M was just watching like infomercials with Hillary Duff, but <laughs> I was following I was, it. <laughs> I was too busy watching MTV and like, I don't know, going to house parties. With Learning to not say gay. <laughs> Learning to not say gay while also coming to terms with the fact that I was yeah. so insanely gay. What a fun, like, what a fun time for you, I bet. Uh, Hillary Duff, I think, taught me I'm gay. I'm confused. I'm not really sure, so. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so I, I, that was definitely one that has kind of resonated with me over the years, especially excuse me especially because um renee was living over there when this happened so i remember like visiting her and being like what the hell is going on so Mm. on november 2nd 2007 the so this is a refresher for all of those who've never heard the story which i guess includes M. so i'll give you a quick (laughs) recap or maybe Um, matt damon he seems to be behind the curve on some (laughs) things that's true where's matt damon's daughter i need her to repeat this to him So on November 2nd, 2007, 21-year-old student Meredith Kircher from Surrey, England, was found having been stabbed to death in her house in Perugia, Italy. Meredith's 20-year-old American roommate, Amanda Knox, and Knox's then-boyfriend, Rafael Soleshito, I I tried to learn how to pronounce it, Soleshito, rapidly emerged as primary suspect in the investigation, and uh, the key movie that I took a lot of this information was from information from was uh the netflix documentary from 2016 called amanda knox which does like a very in-depth coverage of the case and interviews her and the room uh, not the room and the uh, her boyfriend or former boyfriend um and so and soon you can also watch Stillwater. apparently about yes this. i guess that'll be another one um yeah i i can't say how close to to uh, the true story it'll be but um apparently it's a quote ripoff so we'll see but to start going into the story, Amanda Knox uh, was born July 9th, 1987 in Seattle, Washington, mm-hmm. to a math teacher named Edna Mellis and Kurt Knox, a vice president of finance at Macy's. Uh, she has a younger sister named Deanna and two stepsisters named Ashley and Delaney. And her parents divorced when she was a toddler. Uh, she grew up in a middle class neighborhood and was known to participate in a lot of sports, uh, most importantly soccer, which is where she earned the name Foxy Noxy among her teammates. Got it. And that was just a cute, fun nickname until, let's just say, it all came back around later on and it was used against her by the media. But we'll get oh, there. So for fuck's sake. Okay. Well, so Foxy Noxy, um, that was her nickname. Uh, she graduated in 2005 from Seattle Preparatory High School and was accepted into the University of Washington uh, to study linguistics. Fine. Yeah, she was like a really just normal college kid. Um, She had house parties. She was on the dean's list. She worked uh, a couple jobs to pay her tuition. She was known as kind and had a good group of friends. Um, In the documentary, she describes herself as quirky, and I was okay with that. I was ridiculous, and I was okay with that. I thought of myself as like a warrior princess. I'm like Xena. So she was always kind of like quirky and fun and like goofy like there's a lot of old clips video clips of her just being goofy with friends i mean i think we could probably all relate to that um and so when the opportunity came about for her to study abroad for a year she jumped at the chance and off she went to perugia italy to soak up the italian culture and study at the university for foreigners so that's aptly wow. named. <laughs> I was going to say, how, couldn't get more direct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Europeans don't like screw around with, you know, silly it's names. Like, this like, is for you, not us. <laughs> nobody else. <laughs> this is for Americans. 
Um, so in Perugia, apparently more than a quarter of the population are students studying abroad. So huh. it's like a big college student town. Um, and Amanda found a room in a house with a student from England called Meredith Kircher, as mm-hmm. well as two Italian women, Filomena Romanelli and Laura Mazzetti. So the four of them moved into this cute little house. Um, you can look at pictures online. It's kind of like a, a, I don't know, it looks just like a quaint Italian house, like on the edge of a road. It just looks really, really cute. Um, so she moved in in September of 2007 and was able to quickly find a job. So she basically said in the, <laughs> the documentary, she was like, there wasn't much schoolwork, like much work being done at this university for foreigners, basically. So she's like, I might as well get a job. Oh, so okay. That's <laughs> a mature way to think about it. I would it. not have been that way. I would have been like, hell yeah. I would have been like, baguette. time to go all over the damn world. <laughs> Pizza, gelato, like that's my pastime. Um, but no, she was like, I'm going to find a job. So she started working in a bar called Le Chic, which was run by a man named Patrick Lumumba. And he, I guess, had been trying to promote his new restaurant business. And when he saw like a blonde American girl come in for an interview, he was like, this is a good way to draw in a new crowd of people. So she started working there. And meanwhile, her roommate, Meredith Kircher, who was known to her friends as Mez, was born December 28th of 1985 was a student at the University of Leeds studying European politics and Italian abroad. She was very close with her family. She was said to call her mother daily. And although Amanda and Meredith weren't like best friends, like they had only known each other for a few weeks, they were still pals. Like, you know, they were, they got along well. They were roommates. They didn't have a beef or anything like that. Sure. Um, and they did a lot they of things. They didn't have a beef? You just a said beef? they didn't have a beef? Is that not how you say it? <laughs> <laughs> It's a, I think I'm pretty sure it's beef. Oh, I thought it was like, uh, oh, I have a beef with someone. Is that not right? No, like I have beef with someone. <laughs> you, do you have a chicken with someone too? What's yeah. going on? Okay. Oh my God. Okay, well, that's embarrassing. Well, it's okay. okay. It's fine. It's I fine. even in that sentence said Mom. September correctly. I was so proud of that that I think it just totally didn't even cross Ooh. my mind. A little Matt Damony there would be proud of one thing and then be like, oh, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm oh, just kidding. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Co- no, it's it's like you've got beef with someone. Yeah, that I know in my head is correct. I don't know why I said it wrong. <laughs> but I don't now know. I've got a beef with you calling it a beef. So I really thought know. that was a thing. Okay, wow. Good you job, were very close. You were one letter off, so it's fine. Mm, I just uh, threw a letter letter in there. It's okay. They didn't have beef. Got it. Got it. They got along. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's embarrassing. It's gonna. It's okay. Talk about that. Okay, um, so they did a lot of things together in October. They went to something called the Euro Chocolate Festival, which uh, is where we would be a thousand percent. All I want now. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'm like really bummed we weren't part of this. Right. Um, according to Wikipedia, Euro Chocolate offers a variety of activi- activities, including chocolate art displays, experimental chocolate tastings, street performances, and chocolate sculpting. In recent years, an igloo has been constructed out of 3,600 kilograms, a.k.a. 7,900 pounds of chocolate bricks. Wow. <laughs> so, I would eat all of it. So. <laughs> we would live inside it and never leave. I would just like like one of those like medieval torture things with the rats, how they like eat through your stomach. <laughs> oh I, my God. Like, a, a Imagine the castle. I'm the rat, and the, I'm going to eat through the walls, and I won't stop until it's all gone. In all the scenarios, we're the rat. Okay, that's just what you need to remember. We're the rat. Uh, and apparently, in the 2007 events, uh, according to Italy Log 
Logue.com. The fun got started on Saturday when a giant PlayStation 3 game console entirely made of chocolate was unveiled. <gasps> and then 200 smaller chocolate PlayStation 3 controllers were broken up and dispersed through the crowd for consumption. Fun. Oh my I god, like know. Regina George's crown. Like Yes, just- yes, exactly. <laughs> Break it off and and the, the the controllers, they were like, oh, miniature con- they were like huge and then they would just break them off and it just looked so cool. So I don't know. fun. That sounds so, so fun. fun. Yeah. Um so that they were like doing stuff together. They didn't have beef. Um they were just going to chocolate festival. <laughs> they just had chocolate. That's all. They just had chocolate and like who doesn't want that with their friend, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and then on October 25th of 2007, uh Meredith and Amanda attended a classical music concert and it was there that Amanda first laid eyes on the 23-year-old Italian computer engineering student Raphael Soleshito. Va va voom. Va va voom and wowza, they were infatuated with each other. Um, he's interviewed in this documentary. I think he's really cute. And he was very like, you could tell he was like kind of dorky when he was younger, but like they were just enamored with each other. What's um, his name? Raphael. He looked like they described him, I think, as an Italian Harry Potter, which cracked oh, me up. What's his last name? Uh, so it's S-O-L-L-E-C-I-T-O. And I will warn you, like, I don't know if he was cute back then, but now in his oh. <laughs> 2016 interview, I was like, oh, he's pretty cute. He but- literally looks like a Harry Potter. Oh, now his Twitter picture. He is a looker. He's right. A good- he's like really handsome now in the he- in the. He's he's he's. He's a good guy. He's a good yeah. looking guy. And, and he was and like so sweet. Early on, definitely the Harry Potter. Like vibes. you could tell he was like dorky, you know? Yeah, he was like he you know, he was someone I would like hang out on like Twitch with, maybe. <laughs> you know? Not to like rag on anyone else. I mean, I'm I'm tr- I'm doing it too, but like he like he looks kinda like the stereotype like gamer guy, you know? Yes. It well he was, and that was like even his own identity. He was like, I was always this kind of nerdy computer guy, and all of a sudden like this blonde american girl comes along and like they were just in love with each other and yeah so i I just thought that was kind of a fun little twist because i he's a cutie pie he was always a cutie pie but he has really aged like a fine that's what i'm saying and and and, and, like part of it too he was describing like oh i was such a dork and i was like really and then i looked him up and i was like "Uh aha okay you had kind of the harry potter thing going which it really is like it's it's just like the the 80s horrific trope of like once you take glasses off you're beautiful oh my god it's it's his like, glasses were not great though <laughs> it's it was the transition lenses folks like <laughs> transition you know lenses they were just it. like the thin wire framed like they were the glasses that like all of us had at one point and then realized later we shouldn't have done it and so. look back and go mom what the hell were you thinking <laughs> yeah but then he took it off and he's just like a handsome handsome prince you Screw know his so. hair out a little yeah so yeah. It was kind of cool because I feel like I had already, I had always heard about him as being part of the story. And in my head, he was just like this kind of skeevy Italian dude. And like, I had no clue. And so when they interviewed him on the show, I was like, oh, he's really like sweet and dorky. Like they were clearly infatuated with each other. It's just a different spin seeing it in person on on a video than like what you, what I, at least what I absorbed back in 2007. Um, So anyway, she goes to this, uh, music concert uh she meets this kind of nerdy guy Raphael, and so amanda and Raphael start dating he was like it was really sweet he kept being like i was so nervous like my, and you know his english is all broken and he's like i was trying to show her the town and my heart was beating so fast i could barely think like they That's were clearly so in love it all gets shit on so don't worry but oh. at the time it was sweet so yes 
that's where that relationship began. Now, about a week later, uh, November 1st of 2007, it was only Amanda and Meredith staying at the cottage because it was um, a holiday in Italy. It was All Saints Day, day after Halloween. Um, So their housemates had gone home to be with their families. And Amanda had been hanging out with her boyfriend, Raphael. She stayed overnight with him. She even described like what they did last that night. They watched Amelie. They she read to him from a German Harry Potter book. Like they were just uh, and and then they, they, they then they made love, she said. And I was like, oh, they, they <laughs> did everything. They did all the steps. Of they the did day. the full spectrum of activities. The full <laughs> shebang. Yeah. yeah that yeah. one could do. Yeah. <laughs> so. She was staying overnight at Raphael's house, and she returned to the cottage on the late morning of November 2nd. So when she gets to the house, she realizes things are off. Never a good start. Um, first, she notices the front door is ajar. Uh-oh. And she calls out. She doesn't hear anybody. So she goes to the bathroom that she and Meredith shared to take a shower, and she noticed what seemed to be specks of blood in the sink. But they were so small that she thought, like, maybe someone was on their period or like had cut themselves shaving like who knows um yeah so i like i get that too i feel like um i don't know it's a bathroom it's (laughs) there's stuff happens there yeah yeah um so she takes a shower and when she gets out of the shower she's stepping onto the bath mat she sees a much bigger stain of blood on the bath mat and that's when she's like oh shit i didn't see that before Uh uh-oh and then she goes to use the toilet, and she finds unflushed feces in the toilet bowl. Ooh. Ugh. And so that's At when this she point, panics. though, oh, oh, she panics. Okay. At this point, I'd be like, ooh, someone's having a really bad yes. day. Yes. <laughs> that was my thought as well. Like, someone either had way too much to drink and didn't know how to, like, get <laughs> into bed properly. I would just be like, someone's suffering and i need to help along yeah Yeah, somebody's not okay and like so she saw that in the toilet was like something is off she got like a chill and was like okay something's not right here the you know the specks of blood is one thing giant spot on the bath mat is another thing uh the toilet unflushed is another thing then she's putting together the door was open like she's just starting to freak out a little bit so she tries to call meredith doesn't get an answer she tries to call her other roommate philomena to tell her she thought there had been an intruder in the house so she leaves to get Raphael because she's freaked out and he comes back to the house with her he and Amanda returned to scout it out, and notably, Meredith's door was locked, and which was not normal. Um, so they're trying to knock and call for her, and the more silence they hear, the more panicked Amanda gets. Uh, so they they notice the door's locked, and they also notice that the window to Filomena's room has been smashed. And that's when they're like, someone's been in here. And so that was enough for them to call uh, Italy's military police force. The Carabinieri? <laughs> Let's hope hmm. I'm saying that right. Fun. Yeah, yeah. And so when the police arrived, the first thing they did was smash down Meredith's door. And oh. unfortunately, they found Meredith dead on the floor of her bedroom. <gasps> she had... Oh, it was horrible. It's horrible. The story is like pretty... I don't know. It gets me. So apart from a t-shirt, which was crumpled up near her shoulders, she was found naked under a duvet on the floor. Um, she had been stabbed in the neck with a knife, she had a very, very deep wound in her neck. There were some nicks on her chin as if someone had been like taunting her or like Aww. cutting her face. Uh, and in a later autopsy, it would be noted that there had been sexual interference with her body. And so I looked up that phrase because I wanted to clarify what that meant. Yeah. Um, 
I struggled to find a real answer. The only sources that came up were in reference to Canadian law. And so I don't know, you know, this took place in Italy and Meredith was English. So I don't know like where this fits in, but at least according to Canadian law, um, according to a website called Sanders criminal law, sexual interference is a specific type of sexual assault that applies where you touch a complainant who is under the age of 16 years for a sexual purpose with any part of your body or an object. But Meredith was 21. So I'm not really sure like, Huh. It clearly doesn't translate properly. So I'm not sure what the... Yeah. Does that... Could it be interchangeable with just sexual assault? It might or... be. Okay. And at the very least, it seems to be a type of sexual assault. So I would say at least under that umbrella. So um, we can just call it that to be broader. Um, So we'll just call it that. But so Meredith's two credit cards, 300 pounds... Oh, sorry, 300 euro, which is about $420 in cash. And her house keys were all missing. So shocking i mean amanda's at her boyfriend's house comes home and finds this scene it's horrible horrible so amanda and Raphael are waiting outside and this is when things start to go sour for them because the press has been gathered outside they hear the story they're you know recording the scene and at this point amanda and Raphael share a kiss now let's just say the media took that and ran with it uh, uh, now what she describes it as is a casual kiss, just three seconds among hours of standing around, exhausted, scared, waiting for news from the police. And they had started dating literally a week earlier. And so they were kind of like leaning against each other. It wasn't like they were making out. Like you can see the clip in the documentary. They were just affectionate. Yeah. And like, you can okay. see she's clearly distraught and like he kisses her and she kind of like looks down and looks at, it's not like, oh, we're making out hot and heavy out here. Right. But it got transformed into that. Like, who makes out outside of their murdered roommate's crime scene, you know? And I'm sure if you took a still of them kissing, it would look worse than, like, the peck right. that it was. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they were standing there for hours. So it's not shocking to me that at one point he kissed her. He and... just said, like, hey, it's going to be okay. Yes, Mwah. exactly. You know? That's what it looked yeah. like. It looked like a reassurance type of, like, you know... Like, at least we're safe. Yes. You know, I, exactly. I'm here. I'm here. Yeah. They didn't look happy. Like, I was looking at the scene, like, they look miserable. So, um, anyway, that's that's kind of the first step that happened that didn't start things off well for them. So, um, blah, blah, blah. the image of Amanda and Raphael kissing bro- broke this into an international story, became the key part in the investigation where people started saying, they're uh, behaving inappropriately for the scenario. So immediately two police officers uh, question Amanda, finding it baffling that she didn't raise the alarm sooner and had like taken a shower and all that. But like you and I said, if we just saw a couple of flecks of blood and called out and nobody answered. Yeah. I feel like I'd be like somebody either cut their leg shaving and was trying to, you know, something like that. Or, or like someone might have been on the toilet and somehow hurt themselves and like ran off i don't know i don't that know that shows what more about us probably yeah i injured myself on the toilet but i mean i don't, I don't know. know i'm trying to think like what could have happened what something that i clearly don't know happened you know yes and i feel like not everybody's instinct is like well mine might be murder but only because i do the show but i feel like especially if it's not like a close friend it's like a roommate you don't know them very well you've only known them a month like I you mean, don't yeah. know what their yeah. bathroom also, habits like, are like i mean i imagine if i saw like some blood on the floor and no one was there like later i would be like 
Allison, you good? Like, it looks like, did you cut yourself or something? Like, I wouldn't think, like, oh, there's... I do think that combined with the fact that there was, like, an unflushed toilet, that makes me feel like, okay, so you hurt yourself and therefore, like, were in such a panic you forgot to do that. Like, maybe they're the same situation. Or, like, it's it's coincidental that, you know, two separate weird things happen in one day. The, I, I, I wouldn't really feel in danger yet, though. Yeah, I think I wouldn't really... I think I'd feel on edge, maybe. Like, something seems off. Um, I, would, I, I would text them and be like, are you okay? Where are you? Yes, <laughs> exactly. I would yeah. try to get a hold of them, too. And I think having the door open and all that, like, it would put me on edge. I would probably go get somebody to be like, can you check the house out with me? Because nobody's answering. Like, I, that is exactly how I would have, I assume, reacted. Um, so, you know, of course, the police are like, why didn't you say anything sooner? You took a shower. Um, And Amanda and Raphael are questioned rigorously by police for days uh, after this discovery. Uh, Amanda asked for legal counsel, but was refused it because Italian law only mandates the appointment of a lawyer for someone suspected of a crime. Uh Uh-huh. So that is, I think, where a lot of this kind of diverges from the stories we cover usually in the U.S. because you don't get a lawyer just because you want a lawyer like over right. there like right. she's like i need a lawyer and they're like no and it's like that here does not fly right so there's a lot of differences there um, i wouldn't even think about that though which is so wild. i terrifying. mean it makes sense once you say it to me they're like hey different places have different yeah rules. yeah but i just assume like oh everyone's got like a public defender a standard like yeah, yeah exactly and it just doesn't work that way which is really scary um and you know she's young she's 20 like all you know is like ask for a lawyer and they're yeah. like no and now what you know you barely speak italian like she said she spoke it at like a 10 year old level mm. if that um so anyway so from the police's point of view they still haven't found a murder weapon they were becoming more sure that amanda had something to do with this murder so they tap amanda and Raphael's phones and the media are in for a frenzy now when in some after some time off after meredith's body is found Raphael and amanda are spotted in town shopping um, the shopkeeper, Carlo Maria Scotti di Rinaldi, spoke to police after recognizing uh, Amanda and Raphael, and he revealed, according to the Evening Standard, that they came into the shop and were there for about 20 minutes. The girl bought a camisole and a G-string. I heard her as she was choosing the underwear, and as they were ready to pay in front of the till, she whispered, afterwards, I'm going to take you home so we can have wild sex together. Oh, and so this shop owner, Di Rinaldi, said the couple behaved in a way that other shoppers noted was exhibitionist. Mm. So that did not bode well for them either, uh, okay. reputation-wise. And remember her nickname from soccer camp? Sure do. Sure do. Foxy. <laughs> Foxy Noxy became a headline. The media ran with it. They're like, she's out purchasing G-strings. She's purchasing lingerie. She's making out with her boyfriend. She's in a brand new relationship, everyone. Chill the fuck out. She's 20. <laughs> yeah, in a foreign country. Like, yeah. she doesn't think... I feel like at this point, she's not like, oh my god, I'm being looked at as a suspect. Like, because if you're yeah. not guilty, like, I feel like it's hard to imagine how much scrutiny you're... Like, she didn't know her phone was being tapped. I don't also, know. Also, I would also make the potential argument that like if you go through trauma like that sometimes like hypersexuality is a sign of like you know acting out or like i mean like she could also just nap like just want to like sleep with her brand new boyfriend like that's totally fine yeah and but I you will... could also say this might be like a you know she's dealing this is like a way yeah, of grief I feel for like, her yeah i feel like everyone has some way of distraction or you know whatever 
Um, and as much as it was like, of course, this is a traumatic, horrible thing. Like you said, it might be maybe it was a distraction from like, oh, my roommate was just brutally murdered. I'm going to go live with my boyfriend for a while. And yeah, I'm going to go sleep with him on... because that will definitely keep me distracted from thinking about <laughs> At least walking into my own home to a dead and roommate. finding blood and yeah, et cetera. Yeah. Like that could have been me. That's at least my perspective on it. Um, so yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. And also a lot of this shit ended up being way over exaggerated. Um, so who knows how much this story is even true or how much it's been blown out of proportion. So Foxy Noxy becomes a huge media scandal. And although Amanda had told the police over and over again how she spent the evening with her boyfriend, Italian police just didn't believe her. So as Amanda describes in a Twitter thread written this year in January of 2021, police had found a text message on my phone that I'd sent to my boss, Patrick Lumumba. He'd given me the night off work that day, and I'd written him in my broken Italian, si vediamo più tardi, buona, ser- buona serata, I don't know, I don't speak Italian. Um, and so she was literally attempting to write, see you later, good night, but that English idiom doesn't exist in Italian, so the cops interpreted it as a literal appointment, like, I will see you later oh. today. So that she was like, yeah, look at my phone. Like, there's nothing, you know, and they were like, well, it says you're meeting him later tonight. And she was like, no. And he, they were like, it's right here in the text message. You must oh have forgotten, God. blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, they had oh that to God. hang on to. And so they basically. This poor girl. Yeah, it's Jeez. terrible. It's really terrible. Um, she described the interviewing as torturous, later revealing that the Italian police had slapped her. Uh, while urging her to remember what had happened. Again, she had asked for a lawyer. No luck. The Twitter thread continues. I was 20. I was 3,000 miles from home. My friend had just been killed. The killer was on the loose, and I spoke Italian maybe as well as a 10-year-old. I was confused and afraid. In that state, a group of seasoned adults questioned me without an attorney for 53 hours. (gasps) (laughs) Oh, my God. This is a nightmare. Yeah. I mean, like, pure nightmare. Um, And I want to throw this in here because she said this at the beginning of the documentary it like still gives me goose camp but like she said in the beginning because i was wondering like why is this such a controversial story still and she made a really really good point i don't know if she's been in therapy or something but she made this point i was like whoa that's exactly it where she said either people are either they think i'm guilty or they think i'm not guilty there's no in between and she made the point of you know it could be if you think she's guilty it's because you want to put she's like a uh what is it devil in sheep's clothing i forget how mm-hmm. the phrase yeah. but if you it's hard to convince yourself she's not guilty because then like this could happen to anybody that could happen to me it's sort of right. like when you're thinking of a victim in a crime and you want to find a reason like why did this person get killed did they leave the door unlocked or just yeah. something to like keep yourself at ease like well i won't end up that way that won't right. happen to me because i always lock my door or I never go out and party at night or whatever it is. And I think yeah. that's the same kind of idea of like, if this can happen to just some girl on study abroad, like it can happen to anybody unless Oof. she's guilty. And then you can talk yourself into, you know, well, she's evil and a psychopath. And yeah, I don't know. I just think it's a fascinating um, look at humanity. So they questioned her without an attorney for 53 hours over five days in a language I could barely speak, and they lied to me repeatedly. They told me I was a witness, that I was helping them. A lie. They told me that Raphael had contradicted my alibi. A lie. They said they had evidence that placed me at the crime scene that night. A lie. They refused to believe my simple and true story. 
that I'd been at Raphael's house that night, that I knew nothing, and so they engaged in a relentless campaign of lies and gaslighting. They isolated me and made me vulnerable. They had tapped my phone. They knew my mom was due to arrive in Italy the next day, that I would soon have an adult to protect me. That's when they decided to break me. They'd recorded all previous interviews, but conveniently not this final session. Interesting. They kept me up overnight. They told me I had amnesia, that I was so traumatized by events I'd witnessed that I'd repressed them. They shouted at me to remember, remember. They slapped me. My phone was ringing on the table. It was my mom. She'd arrived in Italy. They wouldn't let me answer it. You were there, they said. If you just remember, everything will be fine. And so then they see this text. Like forcing her to like, like. Like beyond coercing, Co- completely coercion. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in in an in emission or something. Yeah, and like again, this is a scenario where in the U.S., like you, at least technically, I mean, it happens, but like technically, this is not a legal confession if you've asked for a right. lawyer and under duress. Under mean. duress, exactly. And but that's kind of not what happened here. Um, and so they saw this pe- t- uh, text message to her boss that said, "Like, see you later." And they said, they thought, see you literally in a few hours. Exactly. So they said, you must have met him at the house. Remember, remember the truth. And she said, they made me feel insane. Like I couldn't trust my own thoughts, my own memories. I started to believe them that I had amnesia, that I'd witnessed something horrific. They wrote a statement for me, a confused and contradictory statement that implicated my boss, Patrick, and placed me at the scene of the crime, shaking and tired and gaslit into submission. I signed it. They congratulated oh, each other and girl. I know and rushed off to arrest my boss. So the, her boss is literally like, you have the night off. And like next thing he knows, he's being brought in, arrested for this girl's murder. That's sick. And so she says, I was thrown in a cell. Hours later, I recanted the statement, said I couldn't stand by it, that I was confused, that it was all a jumble. They ignored me. This was all before any forensic evidence had come back. So she's <laughs> in a shitty situation That's, at this point. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine the, I don't even know what the word would be. That's just, it's, that's so sad and scary. It's, yeah, it's a nightmare. Like you said, it's like. A waking nightmare. Like, you can't even fathom being in a situation like this. And who would think that they'd ever be in a situation like this, especially right. on such an innocent trip abroad? It's horrible. It's horrible. So as a man, and obviously now people are listening. If you're like, I think she's guilty. Like, okay, we we disagree then, which is fine. I mean, <laughs> you know, you have your own opinions. This is still a very controversial case. The way this story is currently being spun to me, I don't (laughs) think she did anything, to be fair. Yeah, and this is, you know, obviously, I'm sure different documentaries have different angles and things, but, like, everything I've heard, and even back then when it was on the news, I remember thinking, like, what is this? This is, like, they're treating her terribly. Like, the way that it was angled about her being this sexual deviant and this psychopathic, like, sex monster, it was, like... It's just so fucked up in and of itself, even if it's... Yeah, even even if she did something wrong, why are they, like, slut-shaming her it's, it's for, completely, like... It's completely, yeah. That's, like, For, like, like having a relationship and, like, coping however she needed to with a death. It ends up being, like, really just focused on her. And honestly, I think it also does such a disservice to Meredith, who was murdered, and, like, no one cares about that anymore, right? Like, everyone's just right. so obsessed with the aftermath and this relationship she's in and this, like... It, it just i feel like it, it it's just upsetting i don't know how else to say it um so as amanda describes on november 6th she submitted a statement in which she admitted to being in the apartment while the murder took place with her boss patrick lumumba uh which like is just not true i can't even imagine like sorry but like no no go for it i just even just like 
I can't even imagine being the cops that wrote this like a complete fake story. Yeah. I mean, did or did they so get think- enough information where they genuinely thought they could piece it together and that made sense, or was this like a full blown? I think this was one of those stories where they there was so much pressure from the media they needed to solve this case they needed to pin it on someone and once they got it got the idea because the the guy in charge of this whole case which I'll talk about in a minute he is fully to this day convinced that she is guilty of this crime so I think they really believed she was guilty and it took that (laughs) it took it colored their view of this whole uh, case and it and of the evidence, and they weren't able to look at it in an unbiased way. And so when got they it. finally got her to say, yes, I did it or whatever, it was like, well, you said you did it. So obviously you did it. Like there was no backtracking. They were never going to listen to Is there to any again. other proof we come up with? Oh, there's a lot we... of evidence and things that come into play that okay. end up becoming even just adding okay. more controversy. But yes. There's definitely more that comes back, like when the forensic evidence comes back. Um, so Amanda, Raphael, and Lumumba are taken into custody, are all three charged with the murder of Meredith. And the man leading the case against Amanda Knox was the one I was just talking about who still thinks she's guilty. His name's Giuliano Mignini, and he was interviewed extensively in this uh, documentary. I He pisses me right off, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I was like okay. not having it with this guy. He was like... Well, at one point he was like, well, why would you like her behavior is so irrational? Why would you say you did it if you didn't do it? It's not it's not hard to say I didn't do it. And I was like, of course, she said she didn't do it. She said it 10,000 times until you berated her into saying she did it. Like he's also like like, and and genuinely let's let's pretend she's the killer and he Mm -hmm. is, you know, he he's got a point here. I still can't tolerate a man calling a woman irrational. Like Yes, he called her behavior irrational. And I was like, her friend was just murdered. Like, what yeah. are you talking about? Nobody's yeah. rational at that point. Right. And it's not fair to, like, again, I mean, we've t- gone over this before, but, like, nobody knows how they're going to react when some when something terrible happens. Yeah. And, again, not to make, li- like, not to, I don't know, make this sound harsher than it is, but, like, they'd only know each other a few weeks. It wasn't like she'd lost a lifetime family member or somebody that... She yeah. knew very well. Not that that should, you know, obviously she was still, it was traumatic like, and horrible. Her mental sanity had, is is currently justified to uh, not being tip top. Like her. Yes, her, yes. She's allowed to be struggling right now. Yeah. And, you know, the fact And she's that, also, it sounds like she's not really struggling. Like, it sounds like well, she's like Well, I think like that coping. was the problem. Everybody was like, well, she's mm. just out there shopping. Like, and her friend just got murdered. And it's like, again, I don't feel... Like, I don't know what people expect, like, put wear a black veil and, like, cry for, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like everybody, again, nobody knows how they're going to react. And so it's unfair to just watch. Honestly, if you if move. something happened to you, I'd be going shopping, too, because I would be like, <laughs> I need a fucking distraction. I'd be like, I deserve a present right now. I'm going through it. You know, like, <laughs> you would you would have made a million dollars on Twitter tweeting about <laughs> my death. You'd be on Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> I would. I'd be like, and now I would also I'm going to go shopping because Christine would want this for. Oh, me, my so. God. Yeah. So it's just, you know, and not to make light of the situation, obviously, but I just think it's really unfair to look at a 20 year old and say, well, her behavior was irrational. It's like, that's just not a... F- also, by the way, that's not evidence. Right. I just want to point that out, too. Like, to say somebody acted weird, that doesn't that yeah. doesn't mean anything. Like, maybe it can give you a hunch, but, like, it, do- it doesn't count as evidence. 
I yeah, guess it does doesn't in get this to case. Put someone in prison. You know? Yes, exactly. So this guy just pick, pisses me off, whatever. But so um, he at the time was already pretty controversial. Um, according to Marie Claire, he had been charged with abuse of office in 2006 for allegedly wiretapping phones uh, during a different case. It was the Monster of Florence case. And he had been he was already kind of off the rails with his police work, like already in trouble for crossing certain lines. So not totally surprising. And the conviction ended up being overturned. So from the get-go, he had his eyes set on Amanda. He said in the documentary, she had an attitude towards authority, a bit anarchic. I don't know if there's an attitude like that in Seattle. (laughs) He was like, she had such an attitude toward authority. And I'm like, she was in there for 53 hours being like battered into saying she did it and being sleep deprived on purpose. I would also have an attitude against authority at that point. <laughs> or maybe that's the, just the Seattle blood maybe in me, Maybe that's what know? Americans do. Yeah. This yeah. guy just ticked me <laughs> off. I was like, if you have to spend 53 hours harassing a girl into admitting Who's something. Who's scared out of her mind. And who can, like, you, can, you don't let her talk to her mother on the phone. You don't give her a lawyer. I don't know. To me, that's, that's like not like cornering impressive. an animal for 53 hours and then being like, I don't get why like, like he wants to bite. Like he's Yeah, being, yeah. Why, why is, is he being so aggressive? aggressive? Exactly. That's exactly the vibe I got of like, he's like, it's easy to say you didn't do it. Why didn't she just say that? And I'm like, she fucking did over and yeah. over and over again. <laughs> right. Just really pisses me off. Um, very gaslighting. It's the gaslighting thing, I think, that, I'm, that just really got me. Um, so one of the first questions he had about the case was why was the girl meredith covered in the blanket his thinking was a woman who has killed tends to cover the body of female victims a man would never think to do this and i'm like but that's again not evidence and yeah great hunch next that was literally right after he said oh i was always inspired by sherlock holmes and i'm like oh for fuck's sake i'm serious i was like that is what you're gonna try and lean this on that so you think you're literally sherlock holmes yeah Yes. Good job. Sherlock Holmes would have not looked at a bedsheet and gone, oh, I figured it out. It's a woman. Yeah. And that's not necessarily true. You can't just say one member of the the opposite sex would absolutely do this and therefore it has to be a woman. Whatever. Like, that's just, to me... Like, you can try work. and do, like, some behavioral profiling. Yeah, but, like, exactly. you still don't have a person. Like, you still don't have anyone to confirm it's not that evidence and like to say again like we've talked about that too where you know they they say like women are more likely to kill in, like with poison for example versus like yes there are definitely trends like that and there's like you said behavioral analysis and psychological analysis yes sure but you can't just say a man would never think to do this yeah they're all so guesstimates and it also can't like, be a man also like <laughs> I'm sorry, but if you're going to say, oh, it was a woman because, like, there was a blanket over the body, then you could also say, oh, it was a man because it was a violent stabbing. Yes, and it was a sexual assault, which we'll get into. Yeah, so where's your fucking hunch now? Oh, well, don't worry. He twists it all into a great story, so... Okay, well, here we go. He just can't let go of this Amanda theory. It it really ticks me off, obviously. Um, So, da-da-da-da-da. He says uh, a man would never think to do this. He also thought that it was a staged break-in. Someone was throwing off suspicions from someone who has a connection to the case. Again, all because of this blanket, I guess. Um, So Knox first finally received legal counsel on November 11th, where she uh, retracted her confession, stating it had been forced out of her after hours of relentless and threatening interrogation and like physical violence, by the way, uh, Mm -hmm. by police in Italian without a lawyer present. 
Uh, also, Lumumba, the boss, had an alibi. He had literally been working that entire night. So everybody at the bar so, was like, he So was their there. entire fucking theory just like completely goes out the window. was not there. Exactly. So it's like she says, oh, yeah, he was there because they said, you must have seen him. You must have met with him. And she's like, yeah, OK, he was there. Like he literally physically was not. And so, so he gets off the hook. So he's released. Off, um, so he is. It's, but but they're still sticking with the story that requires him to be there for her. So they're now twisting the story into, okay, fine, it wasn't the boss. It was now Amanda and her boyfriend, Raphael, who's still in prison because they've imprisoned all three of them. So they let Lumumba go and go, well, then Amanda just added this third party (laughs) and, like, she's still guilty. It doesn't make any sense. Um, Again, they hadn't found a murder weapon. And November 15, 2007, thanks to an uh, ordered search by Menini, an incriminating kitchen knife is reported to have been found at Soleshito's home, which is Raphael's house. The eight-inch knife had traces of Amanda's blood on the handle, or not blood, sorry, Amanda's DNA on the handle and Meredith Kircher's DNA on the blade. So they tell this to to amanda and she was like i literally have no explanation for that like why she's like that one right. i don't have an explanation for why would meredith's dna be on the blade of my boyfriend's kitchen knife like she just says like that right. one i didn't know i didn't know what to do or say so Raphael disputed this saying he had accidentally they, like he was cooking with amanda and meredith maybe that's where it came from but nobody knew where this dna was coming from And they were getting more evidence returning from the lab. One of the clasps from Meredith's bra was found in her room, which had Amanda's DNA on it. And from the investigator's point of view, this was painting a clear picture that Amanda had been involved uh, somehow in Meredith's death. And she had forced her into some sort of sex game. And it had gone horribly wrong. What? And, like, I laugh because it's like, where are we jumping from, like, to get to this fucking conclusion? the stretch is insane without any context. Correct. Like, there's a Facebook tag, like, group that you can tag. I think it's like, are you a yoga teacher? Because, wow, what a stretch or something. It's like, what on earth are you talking about? (laughs) Like, where are you coming from? Because... Is there any, like, do we get any more information on where that comes from? Or it's just the new theory? It's just based on Foxy Noxy and her behavior, quote unquote. Oh my God. And saying she's just uh, a very sexual person, which God forbid, right? Like a woman be a sexual person. Um, And so she must have forced this poor girl, Meredith, into the sex game and ended up murdering her. And it's like, this is like one of those things where it's like a lot of times the easiest fucking solution is the answer most basic. (laughs) And like, this is the most extremely twisted, bizarre adventure you're going on yeah and everyone's believing this so he kind of has his talons in this theory and the police are just like trying to build the case off of that like they really think she did it and that she is some sex crazed psychopath um and a lot of people still believe that because i mean again it got spun so out of control um this poor woman it's horrible it's really horrible I mean, um, assuming that she is innocent, assuming although she's innocent. all signs point, in my opinion, to her being innocent, in which case, this poor woman. Yes. And I, I understand, obviously, like, if it's presented in a certain light, yes, you're more likely to feel a certain way. But I don't know. I have a very hard time believing that. <laughs> and you're usually not someone who openly picks a side. I try not to. Right. Yeah, exactly. And like, I've always believed she was innocent, even back in 2008 or nine or whenever this was 
blowing up. Like I never, not that she, I never knew whether she was innocent, but I always saw like something, this is not being covered correctly. This She's not being treated right. Things always just seemed off no matter what the outcome was in my opinion. So listen, I'm just telling y'all what happened. Um, so they say we got the DNA and Amanda is like, I don't know how that happened. It's not good. I don't know how that happened. Mm. So they find the bra. It has Amanda's DNA on it as well. It must be a sex thing. So more, <laughs> more intriguingly, the DNA that was found inside uh, Meredith's body from the sexual assault uh, were not from Raphael or Lumumba. Um, they were from a different man altogether. So now we get a third what? party back into the case. Oh, okay. So they found DNA in Meredith's body as well as in the bloody prints on her bedding, her purse, a footprint around the crime scene, and various other places around her body. They traced it to that of a 20-year-old man named Rudy Gede, and he is now the third party in this scenario. Great. So. According to a book called The Fatal Gift of Beauty, The Trials of Amanda Knox by Nina Burley, uh, Rudy Gede was originally from the Ivory Coast, but had lived in Perugia ever since he was five, had been adopted at age 17. Around the time of Meredith's murder, he had met a couple of the Italian men from the lower level of this uh, cottage, and he spent evenings at the basketball court nearby. And uh, he apparently committed break-ins. He was, you know, a petty criminal. Um, he had even broken into a lawyer's office through a second floor window. So that's familiar. Hmm. And he had bur- burgled an apartment, brandished a jackknife at somebody when confronted. And a few days before Kircher's murder, Meredith's murder, he was arrested in Milan after breaking into a nursery school where he was reportedly found with an 11-inch knife that had been taken from the school kitchen. Whoa. So this guy already has a rap sheet. Yeah. Burglarizing and threatening with a knife. Um and he hangs out downstairs, like, of the building. Like, he's friends with the guys downstairs. Okay. So now they f- find his DNA all over the crime scene and inside her body. So then he fled town. They were like, where is he? Well, he's fled the country. I'm um, sorry, but so far, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> like, this seems like... Ding, fucking ding. It yeah, pisses right? me off to no end. I'm like... <clears throat> the simplest fucking solution is the answer. I like we like to not believe that because it makes it more f- crazy of a story, especially when it's like, you know. Mysteries. I mean, you just listed like three, at least three massive red flags to yes. me of like this person should at least be strongly considered. Well, he was so he is brought but then in. He flees right. Well, so he flees the country. So they find him on a train in Germany. They bring him in for questioning. He admits that he was in Meredith's room the night of her murder. According to CNN, he admits to police that he had sexual relations with Meredith, but says another man killed her while he was in the bathroom. Oh, right. Yeah, that's how it always goes. Oh, my right. God. Oh, my God. Okay. What are you talking about? He's like, I went to the bathroom after we had sex, and then I, like, heard something, and I checked, and she was dead. And it's like, what are you talking about? So he's like, then I went over, and she was holding on to me, and I was covered in blood, so I got scared, and I ran away. That's his You know what? Story. And sadly, based on the... The people that were interviewing Amanda Knox in the beginning of the story, it sounds like they would hear that story and go, that makes sense. That checks Off out. you go. Off you go. Amanda must have climbed it through a window with a knife. Right. And it's right. just like, what are you talking about? So this is his fucking story that he is just. And by the way, he t- he said Amanda was not there. He was like, I didn't see Amanda. Nothing to do with Amanda. So he just like flat out fucking confessed. Yeah, and they he were literally like, said he was in the fucking room 
minutes. And, and then also took everyone else off the hook, too, being like, And said no. Amanda was not there. Exactly. Yes, exactly. This is why I'm so ticked off. So, so that's what he says happened. While all this is happening, Meredith's parents, uh, Arlene and John, her sister, Stephanie, and her brothers, John and Lyle, um, led an hour-long funeral service in memory of their daughter in South London. Um, it's really, 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 really fucking sad and horrible. Um, you can see Stephanie, like, talking to the media about it. Um, and again, I just feel like they get so brushed aside during this whole dramatic sex-fueled story. It's like nobody remembers what this is about to begin with, which is like right. this horrible, horrible event. So while all this is happening, um, the you know, Meredith's being um honored in her hometown. And meanwhile, Rudy, Amanda, so Rudy Gede, the guy I just talked about, Amanda and Raphael are now all three charged together with the murder of Meredith. Because even though Gede's basically confessed to fucking being there, they're like, well, you must have done it with Amanda and Raphael. Like, they must have been part of this. Why? Why are we I combining a story? Know. Why are we combining a story that literally nobody, none of the three even implied. One of them even said, hey, not true. All me. Because she made like, out with a guy, a boy outside. And they're like, like yeah, 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 yeah. All you. All you. But also these two people. Because right? you're a sex demon. The names that they came up with in these headlines are like, holy shit. I mean, sex demon. Like This is so fucked. This it's so story. fucked up. It really pisses me off. Really, it does. Oh, my God. Uh, anyway. So they're charged with the murder of Meredith. A couple months later, on September 6, 2008, uh, Rudy Gede and his defense attorney asked to separate the trials because his lawyer is pretty smart and is like if we all three go into the trial they're gonna turn this on rudy which like yes because he did it but whatever so they're gonna turn it on him so we want a separate trial so that like we get a fair shot so um the defense attorney commented in recent weeks a lot of poison has been spread by the defense teams okay and we feel the necessity to find some form of serenity in a separate hearing so rudy is given his own fucking trial I guess he gets what he wants, but whatever. Fine. Okay. So in terms of where Knox and where Amanda and Raphael are during this time, they're still in jail, in prison. And uh, she can't even... This is horrible. Um, you're just going to get even more mad now. Um, by oh, the way, we're God, almost what? done with part one, so don't worry, folks. Sorry I'm, like, talking so much, but... No. So Amanda keeps a diary in prison, and it is leaked to the media. Uh, somebody takes this diary and the newspapers print the entire thing um, <gasps> because in her private diary, she writes and reflects on sex. <gasps> I know. It's so Christine, cringe. It's so cringe. So, so I, this is a nervous smile. That is so revolting. It's revolting. That is so, first of all, just plain old embarrassing. Second of all, demeaning, demeaning. to her. It's just only like discrediting her further while slut shaming her. Mm-hmm. She's got literally nothing left to do but be stuck in a prison, scared for her life. She's mm-hmm. writing, and now all of her secrets have been published while now she's imprisoned and like also like as far as I'm concerned, way not deserving of being in prison. And it gets worse. Just it just gets How worse. How the fuck does it get worse? Oh um Okay, so she's writing about sex, right? Like, which, God forbid, a woman do to begin with. Um, right, well, we don't, like, you know. like, <laughs> Yeah, we, we can't stand the idea of a woman even knowing what no, sex is. No, so. It just happens. It you just know. happens, and we're not part of it. It's <sighs> So their headlines release, like, Secret Diary reveals Foxy Noxy was 
always thinking about sex. Uh, that's from the Daily Mail. There's just they're all like that. Um, and the Daily Mail article writes on one page of the diary, she lists four men in Seattle and New York and three in Florence and Perugia, all of whom she has had sex with. That's seven people. It's I just don't understand why this. First is of news. all, okay, and and like and big, big what's the so point what? where's the evidence why do we care why do we care of course everybody fucking cares so this is obviously like she has a right to write about whoever she has her sexual partners but the reason she wrote this to begin with is not for fun it's because while in prison they told her she was hiv positive <gasps> even though she fucking wasn't it was like a tactic Christine. I'm not kidding you. They literally told I'm like, it makes me They so fucking upset. made her fear for her life. Yes. She literally that she wrote- was sick. And so she, now she's like writing a list of all the people that she, that might have infected yep. her that she wants to reach out to when she can. hundred um, percent. She wrote a list and she said, like, I use protection with this person. Um, I use protection with this person. And there was seven people. She went through the list, was like trying to figure out where this could have come from. She was freaking out. She was like, they told her she was going to develop AIDS. She said, um, I've always wanted a family, but I guess that's out of the question. Um, I just want, I just want my life. And so all of this is fucking printed across, splashed across headlines internationally. Oh my God. And like, oh again, th- she's not just sitting there going, I had, which she has every right to do, by the way. Like I had sex with this person. It was fun. No, it was literally a list of, potential people she could have contracted hiv from or that she would like you said need to contact and so they fucking printed this as like again the most slut shamey like (laughs) and also like like very microscopic small note too but like those seven guys could have also then read in the paper that they might have right that's true too so now you're ruining like seven other people's lives when it's like it wasn't true yeah exactly sorry that's like such a small thing no but but you're right like like you're just they're not even there's no concept of the lives you're ruining no no no, you're they're just playing around with like fake information so they tell her she has she's hiv positive Uh, it's the mental fucking torture like it is so at this point like am i allowed is this like too controversial to say that like fuck these cops i'm i'm over it i have zero patience for this story because I, like fuck I have these cops zero patience fuck these cops i know people might be like no but you don't understand she's guilty i'm sorry i whether she's guilty sorry, or not sorry. i'll just <laughs> sorry. add right now like whether I, she's guilty or not that doesn't matter in relation to this story like i'm still not, upset about this none of the last 10 minutes of what you said should have happened whether or not this is a murderer or not they think they're in the right to tell somebody you have hiv someone someone said let's go tell her she has hiv that'll work and see what happens yep and then somebody leaked her diary after that to the police or to the media it's it's the amount of people that all had one horrific idea like like let's go tell her she has hiv let's go steal her diary let's publish it let's like and for what like like none of this is even giving you information about the murder like it has nothing it's to literally do with just the turning murder. the world against her um yep sorry i uh, fuck this story i'm so glad that you agree with me because i was getting i was like ripping my hair out i was so angry watching and like i know the story but i just it but just like she's irrational also by the off. way yeah exactly like, she's, are you fucking kidding me? exactly Okay. And the guy still to this day claims like, oh no, like we did everything right. She's just irrational and she's the devil, blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's her fault. I'm a I'm one of the good ones. Oh exactly. Exactly. Okay. So according to Romper.com, um, after being told she was HIV positive, again she was not, uh, Knox made a list of those she had slept with from the past. Those sexual partners were then leaked to the media. 
only adding fuel to the whole Foxy Noxy bullshit. And one element of the diary that, like, sure, was a little odd, but again, it's her personal fucking diary. If anybody revealed my diary, I don't think it would probably be cool. <laughs> I would simply disappear. <laughs> I, would, I would vanish. I would immediately melt into the ground and be like, well, so long. Yeah. It's, yep, yep. So she had, she wrote at one point in the journal... The strange thing is, after all that has happened, I want to write a song about all this. It would be the first song I've ever written and would speak about how someone died in a horrible way and for no reason. So, of course, everyone's like, oh, mm. now she's going to write a song about it. And it's like, huh. I think she's processing it, is my opinion. But yeah, I feel like that song, by the way, would be the most epic emo, emo <laughs> yeah. screamo it's thing a little bit you've like, ever heard in your life. It's definitely cringe, but it's also like, it's her diary. She didn't like release a music video on MTV. Whatever. Yeah. So she also says, I'm dying of hunger. I really want to say that I could murder a pizza, but that doesn't seem right. <laughs> Which is like, again, these oh. are the thoughts you have in your head that you don't ever want revealed. And like, that's right. kind of what this is. Like, right. She would never have said that out loud. And sure, it seems fucked up, but it's like. I, when again, you think when you think you're alone in your alone. thoughts, like you feel safe to say things you normally wouldn't like, say. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. My thoughts exactly. So alongside these confessions and revelations, she also writes, I'm angry. At the beginning, I was shocked, then sad, then confused. Now I'm really angry. I don't know. I never saw her body and I never saw her blood. So it's as if it hasn't happened. Followed by, and this is, I think, related to the HIV thing. I don't want to die. I want my life. Um, And it's like, they're just picking and choosing lines Mm. to reveal and make her look, you know, a certain way. Um, and so legally speaking, this is the last bit here, uh, Rudy goes ahead with his separate trial and thankfully on October 28th, 2008, he's found guilty of the murder of Meredith and sentenced to 30 years in prison, which like he doesn't, I don't think he even served the full 30. So it's like, wow. Okay. Fuck you, but whatever. Okay. So then, uh, Amanda and Raphael are ordered to stand trial in three months time as his accomplices as rudy's accomplices in this murder so like he's already been sentenced he yes. literally confessed to not having accomplices he's and now convicted. these two people have to stay in jail for three more months yes exactly so for 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 zero evidence if anything anti-evidence that has confirmed they were not there so fun fact rudy changes his story and says he saw the silhouette of amanda outside the window oh for fuck's sake okay and well. that somehow still ties back to okay so she was there and it's like what are you talking about wow. her silhouette so so anyway so now he's saying yes amanda was there because well sure he's trying to get himself off the hook somewhat yep. <laughs> like of yep. course he's gonna say oh yeah he's you like, think well it's if i'm already going to jail let's at least shave off a couple years yeah and like oh uh, i had an accomplice or or she did it first or uh, yes precisely so uh they're ordered to stand trial in the run-up for the trial the media became obsessed with this like sex addict narrative um again it's whatever it is what it is foxy noxy fueled this along um the prosecutor giuliano minini who i do not like is sure that all this started as literally this is what he says a halloween inspired sex game (gasps) what that he that they forced meredith to participate in i just can't i can't with this is this the second sex game theory this is his sex game theory that he's now transformed into it's a halloween sex game oh right the only way to play by the way um but why well because it was october because it was halloween or the day after halloween what because she was found november 2nd i don't know 
There's no for, rat, for my reason. own for my own my own morbid curiosity. Were there rules to this Halloween sex game? Oh, I'm sure so he I invented them. Notes. I'm sure he wrote them in his own fucking diary, which I would wish they would release to the public. Huh. Um, so he describes on the Netflix documentary what he believes happened that night. So here's a description of this Halloween sex game. That night, let's imagine what Meredith finds. She sees suddenly in her house Amanda, which is okay, but also Solicito and Solicito and Rudy, and she's like, "What?" Meredith couldn't take it anymore. She must have scolded Amanda for her lack of morals. Amanda must have felt humiliated, irritated. So you want to judge my morals so harshly? Now I'm going to show you what happens. She is a very proud girl. A crescendo of attacks. Knox stabs Kircher in the throat while Soleshito held her down and Gede tried to sexually assault her. That's his fucking story. <gasps> oh my story. god. That's Horrible. his story. Horrible and also, like, why is this the first Where we're hearing of it if it's so are you so coming true? up with this fucking story? So all three of them together, like, were in, in this, uh, like, formed an alliance and caused Correct. this. Okay, because she's well. sex crazed. And so what? Like, the two of them who are not sex crazed? Yeah, but they, like, he said they wanted to prove themselves to her or please her for any means, ne- oh by any means. Because they're men and, of course, they're going to just try to please her. But she's sex crazed and evil, so she's going to run the whole show. I can't say for fuck's sake one more time. I, I just can't do it. And I'm, but I, I'm. That'll be the show I, notes. Just FFS. In can the that show just notes. be the title of this episode? For, for fuck's, fuck's sake. sake, it's I'm, so infuriating. It. It's so infuriating. So, and there was like a, <laughs> there's a fucking like reenactment that uh, I think it was in Taiwan. They like created for the news. They created like this 3D reenactment of like. Then uh, of this story, this story that Giuliano has come up with, um, that she's confronted and she says, so I'll show you what happens now and like God stabs her throat because the reenactments really get me. It's like, first of all, like it was all this storyline is cringy, let alone someone having to act it out. Yeah. Oh, it's not. It's it's sorry. It's like a 3D like pixelated like animation uh-huh. okay which makes it. it even that makes it weirder worse, yeah i can't tell i can't tell either it's all just so cringe so that's the first half and then we'll go over what the fuck happens next week well, but thank um, god because my brain was good i know i know that was a lot i've um, been absorbed in this for the last like 48 hours and it's starting to really wear on me mentally but you know what gets me jazzed though is like all of this energy you've just given me i'm a i this weekend i'm going to a rage room <gasps> so you are fun now i have something to just think about while oh I'm that's great sled- i could sledgehammering i could cars call you all shit. day and give you some stuff if you need it <laughs> <laughs> good excellent i'm sure you could well this is definitely going to be the forefront of it so oh my god every time i smash a television this weekend know that it's for amanda knox oh i know this story and it's so controversial because i know some people really swear that she's guilty i just don't feel that way so sorry Sorry, as far as I know, with the information I'm being given, I also do not think that. I, 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 sim- I, I, I need someone to prove it to me. And this has not proven it to me, is what I'm going to say. If you're going to tell me it's some version of like a raunchy sex game gone wrong, but also she wasn't there, but also she was, but also she's irrational, but, it was but her also silhouette. she doesn't have HIV. And like, yeah. we're going to pretend like she does. None of it seems right. And all of it seems like... Uh, HR needs to be involved. Yes, and <laughs> like, I'm like, just fucking, quickly. I'm like, prove it to me. Give me some evidence. There's nothing. Sorry, yeah. there's nothing. And the only evidence there is is all pointing to the fact that it was Rudy and nobody else. Completely. Like, his fucking like, DNA Like, that's the evidence, but apparently we're fucking ignoring it, so whatever. Exactly. It pisses me off. Well, <laughs> fun fact. I, I'm going to go scream into a pillow, but first, do you have the size of your I do. little 
hellion in your bellion. Yes, this week the baby will be the size of the plate of spaghetti from Lady and the Tramp. <laughs> you told me it last time, and I got so. Oh, I angry. did. Yeah, because oh. I was like, because I'm like, how on earth do you have that frame of reference? Oh, is that okay. bigger or smaller than a normal oh, wait, I, plate? That's of- right. I did get ahead of myself last. Week. Wait, is this for? Oh no, this is for the week after. Okay, sorry. Yeah. So uh now it's the size of like a car from cars i don't know what (laughs) tickle me elmo okay i can rock tickle me Elmo. that that fits better now let's see what this one says that's a full-blown baby also buzz lightyear in toy story so yeah that love buzz lightyear and by the way sideways just saying does your baby's little wings pop out like (laughs) (laughs) to infinity infinity. (laughs) yeah that's what you're feeling i was gonna say wings expand by the way yes they do because it fucking hurts um (laughs) but yes so buzz lightyear and uh tickle me elmo creepy thoughts i'm gonna have creepy dreams think about your baby tickling you from the inside i'm funny i'm gonna stop not i'm gonna not think about everything you tell me to think about because it's never a good thing (laughs) you know i'm I'm just gonna say i just i I am going to miss telling you little nightmares uh, once you have this baby. You know what? Just um, so you know. You know I can play this game right back at you, right? When? When? When I've, when I've got a baby in my belly? No, try but. Again. <laughs> no, try but again. Try again, my friend. I have my own methods of my madness. I feel like you're going to mail me a baby monitor and I'll have to listen <laughs> to them scream all the time. <laughs> I feel like I could just tell you like horror stories and like freak you out. I don't know. Oh, we'll see. Good luck. Or good I'll luck just say, friend. like, every time, every time, whenever you have a kid, I'll be like, oh, my gosh, your kid is, like, looking in the corner all day. Like, what are they looking at? Like, I'll play mind games with you. Don't worry. You're only going to get good at it because Two you're going to steal my game. ideas. Every <laughs> Yeah, you're right. You're already a step ahead of me. I know. Just get ready when your baby learns how to text. I'm going to be like, <laughs> your kid is seeing some weird shit. And, like, look at our messages back and forth. First of all, <laughs> ignore all the ones where we talk shit about you. Second yeah. of all. Look at, like, the things that they're telling me in the middle of the night about what they're seeing and they're afraid to say, you know? Oh, stop it. Oh, I'm going to lose this game no matter what. Uh, anyway. Anyway. Well, thanks for listening, thank everybody. You. <laughs> thank you for listening, I guess. And also, um, I wish you well with your little Tickle Me Elmo. Thanks so much. Um, I, I guess we have to, I have to listen to another whole half of this next week, huh? Um. Yep. <laughs> Come back Great. soon. Yay. And that's why we drink (laughs) Ah, isn't that fucking horrible